0: <laughs> um, and 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 I'll end it on the final twist. And if you guys ever have me back on, I can tell you, I I just became a Mormon.
1: You can't be serious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I just got baptized in the LDS Church last week. <laughs> but uh, that's a Find whole mistake? other
1: story. For no, no, you tripped a... into a pool and it happened to be a Mormon pool. <laughs>
2: Welcome to Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey, and I'm not joined by Sam this evening. Sam's on vacation with his family in the Carolinas, uh, looking at Trump posters, and I think he's picked up chewing tobacco while he's been there. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm joined this evening by my wonderful wife, April Gloria. Hello. You might remember April from uh, Fellowship Friday. I think it was number four.
3: Yeah, it's called uh, worship bands to, from worship bands to OnlyFans.
2: Yep. So, so. <laughs> we had a we had a lot of fun talking about um, just some of the stuff that April experienced growing up in the church and stuff. Today we're going to be talking about a, uh, a a book that she read when she was growing up. It's called "Dateable." Are you? Are they? And it's by. Justin Lucadu, Lucadu,
3: Lucadu. I don't know.
2: Lucadu. I don't know. Okay. And Haley DeMarco. So this is a this is like a joint Facebook account approach to uh, dating.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that they are married or anything, but they wrote the book together. So I mean, maybe in the Christian world, that's basically the same thing.
2: I would think that would almost be considered adultery in those circles, like yeah, for well, them to work on a book, unless they did it all through email, but even still.
3: Well, yeah, then they met up afterwards and she be-
2: <laughs> <laughs> So if you remember earlier this summer we talked a lot about I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And if I kiss dating goodbye is like 30% proof like Malibu Coconut or something like that, this book is like the 151 of Christian dating books. Like this is a precursor to a hospital visit. It's uh, April's read me a, a couple of passages from it, and it's insane and worded in ways that are just like uh, it's shocking.
3: Yeah, it's not the same as like kiss dating goodbye, whereas they're like, oh, just court, don't do anything. It like goes into detail about what you shouldn't do and why you shouldn't do it. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, I, now, when- I got
3: this book when I was, I think, I don't remember when it was, but on uh, i stream on twitch and on stream i have a little perk where i read portions of my diary and i found the entry where i got this book from my parents and so that made me want to get it out or get it somehow and uh, read it again and so as to not give support to the authors we found it at a thrift shop for three dollars which is three (laughs) dollars more than it's probably worth but i own this lovely piece of literature so
2: (laughs) yeah this has actually become like a uh, fun, like, date activity for us. Like, we go to a lot of thrift shops and antique stores and stuff. And now we go to the book section and look for insane religious literature. Not so. in
3: short supply.
2: No, every one of them is loaded with. Every Salvation Army has an enormous section full of self-help books, mostly Christian, uh, crappy recipe guides and cookbooks, and then, like, 30 volumes of such and such for dummies
3: oh yeah the dummies books
2: <laughs> magical so this one didn't you get this one at that one in Kansas City
3: I did I got this in Kansas City I was very surprised when I saw it I was like oh my gosh I had to send a text to a couple of my best friends that were in the same situations growing up I'm like oh my gosh it's the book <laughs> <laughs> so I was excited to dig in again
2: so where do we start
3: well, where I'll does the, the
2: nuttiness start <laughs>
3: Well, the nuttiness starts in the the foreword. It's like a, a back and forth between the two authors, kind oh, of like a, a a really witty banter type of thing. And it just says, I'll just read part of it. Justin says, I want to thank Haley for all the hard work she's put in on this book. Without her, I wouldn't have a clue what women want. And Haley says, oh, that's so sweet. But frankly, you still don't have a clue about what women want. Hey, you sure sound like you do in this book, though working with you on this was wonderful and frustrating. Men truly are from Mars,
2: <laughs> yeah, if that gives you any indication of where this is headed
3: yeah so. i can't I can't
2: emphasize enough like going into this how much this this book is hot trash <laughs> It yeah. is
3: terrible it was basically. <laughs> like 80% responsible for my mindset with the dating people. (laughs) Like I was reading through some of it recently. I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's where that came from. Wow. This complex is in this chapter. That's really great.
2: (laughs) So you're our uh, tour guide here. Yeah.
3: Well, the first chapter is called It Will Not Last. It's really like positive mindsets here where they just want you to have the best view of your dating. (laughs) It will not last. How much you put in is how much it will hurt in the end. The way it begins is the way it will end. If I will do it for you, I will do it to you. Those are some of the chapter's names.
2: I noticed that chapter 12 is called Good Girls Go for Bad Boys Boys. with a Z. Oh, yeah,
3: because they're really with the times and stuff.
2: They would use the word hip, which is like like one of those Hello Fellow Kids moments.
3: Oh, yeah. (laughs) So uh, there's a chapter called How Much You Put In Determines How Much It Will Hurt When It Ends. And that's basically... That kind of determined my mindset with dating forever. I'm just like, wow. So if I just don't give anything, I won't get hurt ever. That's awesome. Until you actually find out that you do need to, you know, put things into relationships.
2: You do have to be like an active participant. Yeah, you have to
3: be a human being at some point. (laughs) But it's not according to this chapter. You don't have to. You can just be a robot that says, nah, I'm good.
2: And the book is filled with cool little uh, like doodles like from doodles somebody's notebook here. And
3: quizzes and stuff like all the super cool, like self-evaluation quizzes. Um, let's see. Let me see where we can. OK, so this is about going far or <laughs> going far physically, I guess. So it's telling they're basically telling you not to, to have sex or whatever. It says, there's nothing different about you talking about the girls. Sex doesn't make him want to come back. It's the chase he wants. See the chapter called Girls Shut Up and Be Mysterious. He can get sex from any weak and needy girl that's crushing on him. And girls, in about seven years, he probably won't even remember your name. And then down farther it says, you, or it says um, know that if you give a lot physically in the relationship, you'll feel stupid, used, dirty, and alone. There's nothing you can do to stop those feelings after it's happened. The only way to come out of the relationship feeling proud and strong is to not give in. Don't compromise. Stay physically fit.
2: Yeah, I feel like when they're talking to the girls, like their model for every guy is like a would be like a deadbeat dad on Degrassi or something like that.
3: Yeah. Just like a total nothing. <laughs> Just like a used up old turd that'll just tell you whatever to, to get a quick fix.
2: <laughs> so, okay. So first, first note of good advice, don't have sex with them because it's the chase that we want.
3: Yeah. Apparently guys are just animals and they can't control their impulses and it's your responsibility to keep them from doing that. <laughs> so
2: where does it go from there? What's uh, Give us some more wisdom here.
3: Um, it tells you, it's, it, there's like an emotional chapter. And it tells you to not tell intimate secrets to any guys. It says, think about this. You've told all of your intimate stuff to your crush. Now he no longer has a connection to you. He's not committed to you. And the relationship left a bunch of hurtlings. Now what? Not only are you hurt because your emotional roots have been ripped out, but you have a loaded gun running around. who could shoot off your most personal stories to anyone. That's an emotional disaster that could destroy you more than the breakup. Um, Boy, yeah. What can you do to protect yourself? Save the info. Hold the personal details. Your crush doesn't need to know everything about you. He doesn't need a history lesson with all the graphic details. A girl uses info swap as a way to feel the connection she desires, but for a guy, it's strategy. Connecting or it's collecting more information that can help him get what he wants. Physical payoff.
2: <laughs> so basically, like anything, anything personal you tell a guy is going to be used to like twist you into having sex with him. Basically.
3: Yeah, or he's only listening to you to make you feel closer to him, so you're more open to him. Slipping in, if you get what I mean.
2: <laughs> right.
3: Um, and then if you break up, then he's just going to tell your secrets to everybody because he cares so much about all your secrets. He's
2: like an angler fish, and his, his tongue looks like a, a tasty worm or caterpillar. Oh, yeah. But it's made of your secrets. Yep. And then you get bit. <laughs>
3: not ideal i guess (laughs) but um that's that chapter the way or yeah the way it begins is the way it'll end no that's the next chapter it's like almost the same thing how much you put into it determines how much it'll
2: so like surrendering personal information is gonna make uh your relationship hurt when inevitably yeah the dude gets what he wants out of you and then moves on
3: yeah you're gonna feel like oh i gave so much to this person and now he doesn't even care he's just you know it's nothing or whatever which you know to be fair (laughs) is a feeling that happens you're just like man uh we we did all this like we hung out and then this all this stuff we shared all these interests and then now he just does but i feel like in the book they're taking a little farther than that they're making it seem like it's a lot bigger deal than it probably is
2: i like how they pretend that they've got like this secret code to totally skip over it's like a game genie that lets you skip over the levels of teenage heartache that like every person experiences yeah they're trying no to matter what a-
3: to not experience any of that like ever. I don't know. I don't know if it's good to, to just,
2: I feel like I followed the model of like never even talking yeah, to the I opposite say, sex. Did that, I guess. And <laughs> I definitely like had that like nausea inducing teenage heartache at times. I don't feel like it spared me not talking to them. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, it wasn't from, was it from, um, actual like, conversations or anything because you didn't actually date any of those people.
2: No. No, I didn't so if you missed the uh the the precursor to (laughs) this episode, I I my only girlfriend ever was April. So I did it right. And uh it's like one more reason that I'm better (laughs) than most of you.
3: Yeah, definitely. You're
2: better than me, obviously. It's uh it was strategic. So now I'm in a position of power and
3: you saved yourself for me
2: great. I'm a loaded gun.
3: Yeah, you could just tell all my secrets to whoever. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I was not as pure as Casey was. But while I didn't get I started dating when I was eighteen, you know, seventeen. And I did not tell my parents about my boyfriend until after we'd broken up and my sister spilled the beans.
2: (laughs) I feel like a lot of this purity culture stuff, aside from what it does to you personally, like in your view of yourself. Well, I guess related to that, it kind of gives you like this false sense of superiority over other people. Like you can always pick out things about the people that you're naturally going to be jealous of, that you're naturally going to have trouble like um, not, you know, you're not putting yourself down next to those. people. Like everybody had that that guy or that girl in, in class. I feel like that seemed like they just had everything together and you were just a mess.
3: Oh, yeah. I was an absolute mess, <laughs> like, re- especially reading those old diaries. I'm just like, why are you like this? Like, I was not, I was very quiet, very shy when I was a teenager, and I did not help myself in the appearance department. I just, I don't know, I just was really awkward mm-hmm. and quiet, and but I still, like, wanted friends and stuff, and, but I wouldn't put any in any effort to make them. But, like, I would see girls, like, being crushed on by the guys that I liked in youth group and stuff. And I would just think of reasons why they should be me instead.
2: Oh, it just makes you hate them too. Like you just think like, (laughs) like not only do they not like me, they've somehow fallen for this lesser person. Like I'm superior because I do this, this, and this, meaning I never put myself out there and I don't talk to anyone. And I'm like, Doing a bunch of like ridiculous things that that give me a false sense of superiority <laughs> and it kind of makes you like it kind of makes you hate the person that you have a crush on in a way.
3: Yeah, it does. Well, it does because I uh, in the diary entries. I noticed I was like, oh, oh well, I don't even like so and so anymore. You know, I don't even like him as boyfriend. I don't want a boyfriend and stuff. And I knew. Like when I read back, I remember like exactly, for some reason, I remember exactly what I was like feeling or thinking when I was writing it. And so I'm just like, no, you didn't. You still liked him. You were just mad because he liked someone who was cuter and louder than you at the time. (laughs) That's
0: it. (laughs) It It's
2: like writing it down was just trying to will it into being.
3: Yeah, I think I I I did a lot of that. I wrote in a lot of code in my diaries because, well, I had siblings that would try and read it for one and then because i'm like i'll know what i mean it's fine it's fine but i know i think i i did will some things into existence or not will them but wished to will them but another thing is like we were kind of encouraged to slut shame in a way oh yeah insane now thinking about it and it's still kind of you still kind of get like some of those resurgent feelings but you have to be like oh no that's you know That's not good to think that about people, but you were really encouraged to think less of people who either had boyfriends or girlfriends or dressed in certain ways.
2: Yeah. That's, I feel like at some point I'm going to have to talk about that particular story for me. And I just haven't done it yet on the show. At some point we will. We'll, we'll we'll go over that. But what other uh, nuggets of wisdom do they have for us?
3: Well, speaking about slut shame, we have got a whole chapter about it. Sluts and why you should hate them. (laughs) Uh, It's called, if you're, oh my gosh, I'm going to mess this up. If what you're showing ain't on the menu, keep it covered up. That's the name of the chapter.
2: Good advice. What was she wearing?
3: Oh, yeah. That's, That's literally the whole thing. There's a whole chapter or a whole like paragraph about, okay. I'll just read part of the precursor. It says, um, Understand this. Guys are visual beings. They're turned on by what they see. Plain and simple. Now, ladies, you find that hot little number that makes you look fine and you bring it home and put it on and go out in your spaghetti strap half shirt flashing your stomach with the little shorts that could have been painted on. Do not get upset when guys want your body. Do not call friends and tell them what a jerk he is. Do not gripe because he would not stop staring at your breasts. (laughs) Do Okay, guys are visual, and they're going to stare at what you're showing, so don't get all upset when they respond to the way you're dressed. Girls do this all the time. You show everything you've got and then scream, all guys are jerks, when they don't care at all about your mind and just want to get with you. Well, check your fashion. You're treated the way you dress. If guys were treating you like you're easy, you're probably dressed like you're easy. (laughs) And it's spelled E-Z. Oh. To be be cool and stuff.
2: They are cool.
3: Very cool. And it gives an analogy about... Um, somebody going up to someone dressed as a police officer and saying, help me, help me. And they're like, I'm not a police officer. And they're like, well, you're dressed like one. So that's uh, solid. It's
2: funny (laughs) how like something that's so temporary and subjective as modesty is like, there's so much importance placed on it. Like I remember when, when we were younger, what it was like, low rise jeans
3: yeah the early 2000s or mid 2000s slash early 2000s low rise jeans um like uh crop tops i guess they weren't called crop tops they were just tops that came above your pants <laughs>
2: yeah shirts were short
3: spaghetti straps halter tops uh cap sleeves on my mission trip i did one of those short-term mission trips and cap sleeves were a big no-no <laughs> cap sleeves yeah like little short sleeves, like. I don't know. That whole mission, that mission trip thing. Really interesting.
2: We didn't get into that on your episode. No,
3: we didn't. We'll have to. Follow up. Yeah. Short term mission trip.
2: Well, if I could, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I've, I've heard like that locker room talk, like so-and-so's wearing cap sleeves today.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Look at those, those delts. They're halfway peeking out of those caps.
2: I feel like in five years later, all the scene kids were wearing uh, the same sexy outfit. All the scene boys were wearing the same oh, sexy yeah. outfits from like 10, 2000.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you know about the the skinny jeans and stuff. I
2: yeah, Put I it looked the good. <laughs> I looked like a piece of meat, and I was treated accordingly.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say the the one of the main quotes in this chapter is called. If you dress like a piece of meat, you're going to get thrown on the barbecue. So it's talk. There's another part in this uh, chapter where it's talking about how every man is staring at you. Um, it's like uh, it says, think about your grandfather because all of his old friends are looking at your breasts when you wear that stuff. <laughs> Ew! I know it's gross, but that's the truth. If you wear dress like a piece of meat, you're going to be thrown on the barbecue. That's simple.
2: She has a weird relationship with her grandpa.
3: Yeah. Around our
2: grandpa's old friends. Oh my gosh. Grandpa, what makes you horny about my friends? <laughs> <laughs> it oh. is true that I mean, from personal experience, like, you know, I, I wore the skinny jeans, I wore the little short shirts, and I I mean, are are we gonna not talk about how you you came your opening line with me was, hey uh show me that kielbasa Oh
3: yeah, that was definitely the first thing I ever <laughs> said to you. <laughs> in person for sure
2: (laughs) muffins
3: (laughs) oh my gosh yeah this whole chapter is just i
2: think it's funny too how like it negates the idea like i remember this guy that would come talk at our church he was like an evangelist sort of dude that traveled around and talked at different churches and stuff but he had been a cop before that and he talked about like going to Christian college and stuff. And I think he went to Pensacola like way back in the day. Oh. I remember him talking though about how like, you know, he talked a lot about like all sorts of, you know, he would talk to, like they would separate the boys and he would talk to them about like pornography and all of this right. stuff. And it was like, you know, every serial killer I ever caught had said that, uh, you know, they were addicted to pornography and, He talked about at Pensacola when they would go to the beach, like the girls had to wear like big t-shirts, like gunny sacks over their entire body to go to the beach, which sounds very Pensacola-esque.
3: Yeah, not super surprising.
2: And he's like, but you know, you spend a couple days at the beach and pretty soon you start to realize like there's good gunny sacks and then there's bad gunny sacks. And you know, the cycle begins again. I'm like,
3: my gosh.
2: I remember hearing (laughs) that and being like, there's no hope, like there's no hope. I'll never be delivered. Yeah, just
3: it's, uh, putting all of the responsibility on the wearers,
2: and it makes no sense. Like there is no. It's like summer camp syndrome.
3: Yeah, it's like oh, there's not like day one. You're like, eh, not there's not that. Many. And then by day five, you're like, yes,
2: so and so is the cutest. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <They're> the cutest <laughs> out of these four people here. <laughs> oh, yeah. camp. Oh yeah, the end of this chapter kind of. uh Makes it seem like if you wear revealing clothing, then that means that the guy is just not going to care about you. It says, I know when you wear super sexy rags, you do get more attention. You feel like the guys like you more. They talk to you more. They want to spend more time with you. But the truth is, they don't even know who you are. They can't get past staring at your body. That doesn't mean they like you. The next chick who walks by with a hot body, you're history. You're easy to leave because they never knew you. They just saw your bod. And that is, like, it's funny seeing all this stuff because those are all the things that kind of got ingrained in my mind or whatever. Like, I just assumed that every guy was just going to, the next time they saw a girl that they thought was pretty, they would leave me because that's all guys care about. So it was uh, definitely not emotionally damaging at all.
2: Yeah. Well, and there's definitely, like, I think when you when you're in this community and you're bought in, like you're also looking for proof of those principles, you know? Yeah. And so like, I know you and I have talked about several times about how like you had a lot of friends that were guys and then when we started dating, they all just kind of evaporated.
3: Yeah, they did. That was really not cool. <laughs> I really liked, because that first year I well, I, had, I had just gotten broken up with and not to say I was trying to rebound or anything, but I was kind of more open to hanging out with all types of people. I wanted to just Get to know a lot of people and hang out with whoever seemed cool at the moment and make friends and stuff and i thought i had a lot of cool guy friends but then when we started dating I, they kind of just kind of trickled off <laughs> and i i heard from some of them after that and stuff but a lot of them just kind of disappeared i'm like wow that's really cool that's that shows how much you valued friendship
2: <laughs> yeah like, it's not as sinister as all of that.
3: No. I but, guess, like,
2: it is kind of... it. When you do those things, you reinforce, like, this nonsense, you know? But a- at the same time, like, we were children. Yeah. And they were children. You know, I don't I mean, know I how don't, hard you can be on some people. I don't hold
3: people. ill will against, like, anyone that I dated or... Talk- well, some of them... Some of the people that I talked to who were <laughs> weird, but... Um, for the most part, I don't really hold any ill will because everyone kind of was in the same situation as us and we were so young that we were just kind of trying to figure it out and it was just kind of they probably weren't intentional about doing that. Oh, she's she's dating someone now. I guess I can't talk to her anymore. (laughs) Like, it probably wasn't all that.
2: Yeah. I think uh, you know, if they want to see how nuanced this principle could be, like last year we went down a rabbit hole and we watched I recommend it to everyone as just a study in humanity. If you're a student of people, <laughs> you should go on YouTube and watch season one of Rock of Love.
3: Oh, my gosh.
2: <laughs> and, you know, like, Brett Michaels, <laughs> obviously, like, he's got an eye for, for um, you know, ladies in a certain type of clothing and stuff. But, you know, the thing is, is he loves them all.
3: Yeah, he loves them all. As long as they're sexy. That's it. They have to be sexy. That's
2: it. So they can like talk sexy on the phone to him. Yeah. Talk sexy like, on through the phone.
3: Flash him <laughs> during a photo shoot. Uh, go up and make out with him right when they meet him. Sit on his lap.
2: <laughs> yeah. It. We we got only like one or two episodes into season two. And it was pretty clear. It was like a straight up arms race.
3: Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. If you want some, uh, some culture in your life, please do check it out.
2: So. Uh give us give us one more nugget. What's what's one more thing that we can take and apply in our daily lives? You know, some our daily bread. Oh from, yeah. uh, Dateable.
3: It says, let me see, there's a whole chapter on that. it. It's called Boys Will Be Boys and You Are Not One.
2: I like where this is going.
3: Yeah? Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Girls, have you ever known a guy who's just a doll? You can talk for hours. When the two of you are alone, he's so sweet to you. He's thoughtful, quiet, respectful, even a little shy. But whenever he's with his friends, he turns into the jerkinator.
2: (laughs) The jerkinator?
3: (laughs) He makes fun of you. He's rude, loud, and obnoxious. He acts like you weren't even there. When he's with the guys, you try to talk with him, and he just blows you off. It just makes you feel like you don't belong there. The reason is, you don't. That's right, you don't belong there. Hey, tell me, when a girl gets up and says, I need to go to the ladies' room, and 12 of you form a conga line, what would happen if a dude jumped up and said, me too, and joined the procession? That's right, you would make fun of him and think he was weird. Why? Because he doesn't belong there. That's not the same analogy. What? Whatsoever.
2: Where did they get that from?
3: I don't know, they're just saying that, like, basically, when a guy's with his guy friends, he's awful and disgusting and rude and terrible. And that's the real him with when he's with you that's fake so
2: ah yeah. uh, okay so he's a he's a cretin and you can't be a cretin you're not a cretin no but you you can be you can be a floozy
3: yeah pretty much and there's a whole chap or like a whole paragraph on why being whipped is the worst thing a guy could ever be if he's nice to you and his, all his friends will make fun of you uh, make fun of him when you're not there
2: is this like, does this go both ways? Or like, is there advice to guys in here as well?
3: Um, so let's I'm, see. I'm very
2: curious how they, like, balance this perspective. If they're like, let's face it, guys, you're, you're animals. You're a, a a dog that would hump a plushie if he got a hold of it.
3: Oh, well, the next chapter's called Good Girls Go for Bad Boys with a Z. Can a nice guy get a date? Will we ever?
2: Oh man, those poor nice guys.
3: I know they are always finishing last. They're so nice, they tell you every time, or they tell you to go kill yourself.
0: Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. There's what like... what
2: happened to this poor lady? Like when she was young.
3: Well, probably the same thing that she <laughs> might got trapped like the rest of us, but didn't get out of it.
2: It's just bizarre to like. Where does this perspective come from? That like. A guy is going to be nice to you when you're together by yourselves, but then the minute his friend's around, he's going to be mean, and I I just, I don't, I can't think of a situation in my life ever where that's been the case.
3: I mean, I think think there are some where the guy kind of acts a little standoffish with you in front of his friends, or... I've also seen couples where the guy, the girl kind of tries to get his attention when he's with a group and is like trying to like kiss him and like have her hands all over him and like call him like baby talk names and stuff. And okay. he's like, Err, you know, like I could see that. But the, the book just makes it seem like extreme, like the guy is just going to like, he's an animal. You can't change him. He's going to be nice to you, but the real him is the mean person he is with his friends.
2: Oh, man. It's so depressing. (laughs) Like, thinking about, like, a young person reading this. Yeah.
3: I read this when I was 16, and it was, I, like, it was really formative in my uh, viewpoint about other people. Yeah,
2: like, when uh, when an adult or an authority figure or something gives you a book. Yeah. Like, written pages that you're supposed to read, like, you, you know... You hold the Bible on a pedestal, but you treat all this stuff as if it's the Bible.
3: Yeah, because if it's written by a Christian, then, oh, it's obviously, like, based on, like, biblical principles and stuff, and you you trust other Christians intrinsically, kind of. There's, like, a, a level of trust there already, if you know somebody else is a Christian, in a way, if that makes sense. So you're like, oh, this has to be right, doesn't it?
2: You feel like, in a way, this is kind of like awkward Christian parents like outsourcing the conversations that they should have with their kids about dating to these two lunatics.
3: Maybe some of it. I feel like in our timeline, I think parents were just really scared of their kids messing up because maybe they messed up, but they thought they messed up or they had experiences before they became Christians and then they became serious and like, Oh no, our kids can't do this. Oh, how can we prevent that? <laughs> And they just go to the the other end of the spectrum thinking that it's what's best, I think. Yeah, maybe that's probably them, fair. Maybe some of them pawn it off. But, like, I didn't really have, like, my parents didn't really share a lot of dating, their dating experiences with me. So I didn't really have much to go off of. And I was the oldest, so I really didn't have much to go off of. <laughs> um, So I had, like, what my friends were doing, my limited friends, because homeschooling, and uh, books. <laughs> so.
2: Oh, yeah. So I don't go out and buy this book. But, uh, you know, if you see it on a thrift shelf somewhere, you know, buy it and uh, just have a good have a good old chuckle.
3: Yeah, the same authors also have other books called like, uh, too sexy or something. I don't know a bunch of books with girls' torsos on them (laughs) that are supposed to tell you how to how to not be like those girls with their torsos showing.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. They've written,
3: they've written many books. One's called Marriable as well. The sequel to dateable.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And it's the same two people.
3: Um, yes, I believe at least the girl, the, the Haley DeMarco has written a lot of books. This Justin guy, I don't really know, but Haley has written a lot of books about dating and good girls, bad girls, whatever. I don't know. There's like, if you look up her name, you'll find them. (laughs)
2: She's really singing the praises of the cage that she's in.
3: Yep. Just accepted it.
2: Well, so that was fun. Uh, Thank you for coming on.
3: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of effort to walk into this room and sit down.
2: (laughs) Our stream cave. Yep. So let me real quick introduce our guest for this week. Um, If you remember earlier this summer, we did an episode with a, a young lady named Bianca, who was in an organization called master's commission and the great episode, Bianca's the best go back and, uh, and listen to that one. If you haven't, she's just got a really cool perspective on growing up Latina in, in rural Texas and being, you know, just feeling like you're the only one and then joining different organizations and churches and stuff. Really interesting story and uh, great perspective, but, um, we uh, we met through Bianca, Dustin Phillipson, who is our guest this week. And Dustin was in Master's Commission as well. He was actually a leader at one point, and uh, you know, he had some family members that were in it, too. And we had him on with the intention to talk about Master's Commission, and we just didn't get there. Dustin's got a really interesting story and grew up in some, like, you know, crazy circumstances. This is a fun guy, uh, really involved in the music scene as a kid, which, uh, you know, resonated with Sam and I both, you know, who were both in that, in that sort of same vein. And we, we just had a fun discussion about like his church, his group of friends, how he ended up in master's commission and stuff like that. And, I don't know, it was just a fun conversation. I'm sure we'll be seeing Dustin again at some point. But uh, yeah, so that in mind, um, I'm going to cut to our sponsor, Captain Cecil's, and enjoy our conversation with Dustin (music) Phillipson. Sam, temperature's dropping, leaves are changing. I think we're well into the fall
1: season. Yeah, uh, well into it. And the fall season where I live in New England is a premier destination point. Uh, It's a lot of people's favorite time of the year here. And it also happens to be my favorite time of the year. And what's better on a crisp fall morning than a great cup of coffee? If you're a coffee enthusiast, you're going to absolutely love Captain Cecil's Coffee Roasters. Captain Cecil's is a Massachusetts-based artisan roastery born out of a love for the sea and a passion for great coffee.
2: They offer a rotating menu of carefully crafted single-source roasts and blends tailored to the season. From the light, fruitful notes of Empty Gold to the nutty, banana-bread warmth of Nobska, there's bound to be a cup of Captain Cecil's that's perfect for you.
1: Empty Gold is honestly uh, an incredible coffee. Uh, I, that and another one of my favorites is Nineteen Miles at Sea. Uh, Nineteen Miles at Sea is a little on like the kind of caramel nuttier side, and then uh, Empty Gold is a bit on like the fruitier side. And I, I, I personally just don't like dark roast. I like a light to medium roast coffee, and those two are fantastic. The huge hits at my house. And we would have friends over and I'd, you know, brew a pot of coffee and everyone raved about it. It's a big hit. I mean, they're just absolutely delicious.
2: Nobska's definitely been the hit at my house. We absolutely love it. On top of great coffee, Captain Cecil's is committed to caring for the beautiful Northeastern shore that they love so much. 10% of all sales go to organizations like the
1: American Lighthouse Foundation,
2: who ensure the preservation of the historic New England
1: coastline. So if you're ready to welcome that autumn breeze with a warm cup of Captain Cecil's, visit CaptainCecil'sCoffee.com, enter the promo code GrowingUpChristian at checkout to receive 10% off your first order and free shipping on orders over $50. That's Cecils.com promo code GrowingUpChristian.
2: And we are back. With our guest, new friend, uh, through, if you remember a few episodes back, like early summer, we talked to a wonderful lady named Bianca. Uh, we are here with one of her friends from the Masters Commission
0: squad, Dustin Phillipson. How are you doing, Dustin? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on the Z Show. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, we uh, we didn't get quite enough Masters stories from Bianca, and we wanted to hear about <laughs> more people who had a pretend kidnapping happened where they were uh, compelled to confess faith in Christ.
2: Bianca is like uh, she is a positive force in the universe. She is. And she was very gracious towards Master's Commission and so we're ready for somebody to spill the dirt.
0: Right. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what I reached (laughs) out for. I was like, you know, she was too nice. (laughs) And and, and what's funny is um, it was my sister and brother-in-law who ran the program? So oh no uh, shit, As yeah. Layer. <laughs> That's that might be another little twist in all this. Is that um, uh, yeah. The so, man, I I, I did my first year of master's commission uh, in the city that I'm currently in now, which is South Bend, Indiana. I'm a Hoosier. South Bend, South Bend, baby, home of Notre Dame, and. um I went down to my brother-in-law and my sister went to, a, they originally went to a master's commission in Illinois they kind of met. They did the whole like courtship or what? They kissed, dating goodbye, and then got married or whatever they did.
1: <laughs> like good Christians, <laughs> nice.
0: Did their pre-divorce pre-divorce counseling session? Yeah, they call that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they did all all that stuff that that Christians do before, so they can fuck and um, <laughs> and then uh, then they um they went down to Texas to run a master's commission down there, mm-hmm. and they kind of so. My sister and brother-in-law, that's the relationship that's kind of interesting because nowadays they run a church that's, like, um, very progressive. They 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 like uh, they were doing their deconstructing, like, kind of past few years, and then it really all came to a head during the pandemic. And now they run a church down in Texas that's now, I think, only online because they lost their building. They were still okay. in Assemblies of God church, lost their building just this past year over COVID, over uh during the pandemic and then uh have come out of it like running a zoom church and they're super progressive now and they like uh they affirm lgbtq in their community but years ago they they ran this uh fundamentalist kind of culty thing and um i think they're starting to i actually sent the bianca episode to them <laughs> cuz i was like i've been trying to kind of nudge them towards the idea that like i think we were all in a cult you know yeah. like think you guys ran a cult <laughs>
1: that's a hard <laughs> thing to admit
0: it, yeah it's it's hard to kind of and <laughs> I don't want to be an asshole about it um, and so I I sent them that episode I don't know if they have listened to it specifically or no I think Depending they did what I our intro
1: was like they might have got turned off within the first 20 20-
0: <laughs> well, some people you know,
1: do that's the thing though it's like I, I hope that they I
0: think they're starting to get to a point where they can kind of almost be uh, have a sense of humor about it But um, but you know I thought it was cool and I hope they eventually do get to hear it. I thought Bianca is bubbly as she was, you know, she, she was real about some of the things that hurt her. And uh, that was my brother-in-law that she, the guy in the van that like kicked her out of the program, you know? Oh, really? uh, Yeah. And at the time, like, and what's crazy is that that was the first time I ever heard the details of why she got kicked out. I never, nobody knew. No way. They wouldn't tell you. It yeah. was like a secret society in that way. Like if someone got shut out, shunned, you weren't really allowed to talk to them or talk about it. You know, anyway, um, I I feel like I'm already kind of getting away ahead of myself. But um, yeah, we need to hear we need to hear the Dustin
2: back story.
0: Yeah. The, the origin story. Yeah. Well, so
2: kick us off. Like, how did you grow up? What what led you to join the cult? Well,
0: <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I grew up, my parents were like partiers when they, uh, they hooked up. I was born out of wedlock. My mom had this Jesus freak friend, um, who was like spirit filled Pentecostal. I almost died when I was born. The friend came and prayed over me in ICU and I lived. So I'm like the reason my mom became like an evangelical, like dedicated, you know? In a a way. Interesting. I guess in that, uh, way.
1: I guess that's a good way to jump start things in the uh evangelical trajectory.
0: Yeah, yeah. If, if 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 Jesus uh saves your kid in ICU, I mean there's gonna be a lot of gratitude, I suppose. Yeah. Um I guess I should also say I'm still a Christian, which is gonna be we could talk about that um and where my journey's taken me, but um but I'm definitely like I'm sort of like I shake my fist at evangelicalism in sort of a way that's like semi-affectionate you know i hear like uh David Bazan Pedro the lion you know he kind of seems to talk i i know he went through a really bitter time but nowadays I saw that documentary he did and he seems to kind of almost speak like affectionately like he like he doesn't believe it anymore but he still kind of has like he still kind of wants to help kids that are like maybe stuck in it or whatever
1: yeah so maybe I, that's kind of like that yeah. There's there's so much. Um, I don't know. When you're, especially when you're not that far removed from it. Uh, like I remember what it was like to be unconvinced by anybody that I could possibly be wrong. And right, that's right. not. I I don't know. It's like that's just the world you're in. You don't really, ha- you don't have much of a choice when that's the world you grow up in. And there are plenty yeah. of kids who like don't care but there are plenty of kids no matter who or like no matter what they grow up in whatever their family is they're just like not gonna give a shit about whatever their family's into anyway like it's almost like a predisposition predisposition at that point
0: well that and that kind of so that's a good uh sort of segue into like so my mom got saved my dad did not my dad's my dad is still an unrepentant heathen um alcoholic uh bastard i and so that was the weird dichotomy I grew up in is that my dad was actually like a punk rocker, a new waiver. Okay. And so I would go to dad's house and I would be listening to like, you know, Oingo Boingo and talking heads and U two, Sinead O'Connor. And then I, then I go to mom's and it was DC talk and Steven <laughs> Cruz Chapman. So I had this very, like there was two streams going on at the same time that I was sort of like, like, yeah, like, my dad would like, so my dad was totally like, um, he would like shredded jeans, like long haired rocker guy. And then my mom became this. We, we actually got sucked into a cult right away. Like, we hit the ground running with culty Christianity because we started Because God to saved her baby. Yeah. Well, and, and, the, and the version of Christianity that we got sucked into was um, the United Pentecostals. Okay. Where the, all the women looked like Elaine from Seinfeld. They, they can't cut their hair, and they wear long skirts and, like, don't wear makeup. Um, That was always Elaine's. Elaine always looked Pentecostal to me. She always had, like, her hair up and, like, long and a skirt. <laughs> kind of had that, like, uh,
2: like, the hair's, like, big up front on the top, kind of mounted up right there.
0: They yeah, it was like, like little... a
2: pompadour. <laughs> yeah, they like those little, like, it's like a piece of leather with a pencil stuck through it. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? That's the type of Christianity I grew up in. Yes. Hey, I could Elaine you know, I could deal with those back in the day. Yeah. Where, like floor length yeah. denim skirts sound awful now, but I liked they the, turned like Casey I liked a few girls
0: floor length denim skirts.
1: I think KC hard like a denim skirt.
0: <laughs> you were a UPC chaser. <laughs> <laughs> UPC, what's that? That's the United Pentecostal Church, so oh, um, yeah. All right, <laughs> uh, you got to sound UPC them out babes. for me once in a while. Yeah, UBC <laughs> yeah. babes gone wild. That's gonna—they're like lifting up their skirt and showing,
1: <laughs> so, showing some knee. Ooh, that's too far. I've yeah, it's a little racy. Ankle, bad enough. Were your parents ever together when you were a kid, uh, or did they? What was what's what was that situation? So, what
0: was crazy about that is they. Th- When she became super religious, they started splintering. But then there was this weird season in the early 90s where my dad came back around, like, after the divorce was settled. And this is what really fucked with my head, was that my mom took my dad back in, and they were, like, out of wedlock, which was something that was so, like, demonized. And um, they, like, hooked up over a Christmas, and that's how I me I have a little sister who's, like, 11 years younger than me. And (laughs) that was... uh, Yeah, so, like, my my UPC mom, who was, like, throwing away our Ninja Turtle toys and stuff because they were from the devil um, (laughs) and, like, forbidding us from listening to, like, you know, secular pop music, like, took my fucking deviant dad back in for, like, a season and, like, they kind of shacked up out of wedlock in a weird sort of roundabout way. (laughs) And I can remember that really fucking with me when my mom told it. so my dad ended up, like, like hightailing it to like the West coast when he kind of caught wind that she might've been pregnant. And I remember my mom telling me that, and it was such a weird dissonant thing. So like there was always for me, there was always this dissonance of like, um, like faith and then like, and, um, and filth. (laughs) I don't know. Like, uh, like the, the secular, the sacred and the profane is what I, how I've heard it put, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of, that was my upbringing was like, my dad was just this godless heathen. And my mom was like this holy roller. And so-
1: That's an interesting dynamic uh, to be caught in the middle of. Did you spend, yes. I mean, so you lived with your mom. Uh, did you, how often were you with your dad? Was it just weekends, occasional weekends? What was um, the consistency? There was
0: a little while there where it was consistent weekends. And yeah, so it'd be like going go to my dad's house was like, he always had like, a girlfriend, some like young girlfriend and they were always like trying to be cool with us kids and like buying us toy. I, I can remember my dad taking us to see Edward Scissorhands in 91, but he like wanted to make out with his like young, hot young girlfriend. So like they sat like rows above us.
1: Oh my God. That's like, so oh, weird. Oh man. Yeah.
0: And we would like be looking back and dad's like making out. And so like, we're like, okay, just, I guess, you know, keep your eyes fixed on Edward Scissorhands. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, it's like high school bullshit someone yeah getting, ha- getting handy in the back row <laughs> yeah yeah he
0: was getting hands yeah my dad was sort of like arrested adolescence like still to this day yeah but uh, then we'd go back to mom and and mom would and like she would like have done like a room cleansing like she would do these room cleansings where like we'd come home and then like all of our comic books and our like our hidden spin doctors albums and our toys were all like in their Ninja Turtles. Cause they were like Middle Eastern, like non-Christian spirituality. were all like literally in the trash. You know? Wow. That is oh, intense. Man. <laughs> yes,
2: that, like that's gotta so, be so weird because well, on the one hand it's like you're, you know, every kid thinks their dad is the coolest. Yeah. But then you're going to church and hearing about like, all these things that that make your dad bad, you know, and right. you have to weigh that out.
1: Mm-hmm. And then,
2: uh, you know, you're also going and hanging out with him and he's taking you to do fun stuff. And it's chaotic, but it's, you know, it's normal kid stuff that's fun. And then at home, all of your fun is getting pushed into the trash can.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very literally. Like, what do what what you do with all of that? <laughs> well, you know, in, in my in our case, like. The kids like really kind of, it was weird. Like um, to this day, like my older sister, she, the way she dealt with it was like, she stopped. She like, once my mom had got pregnant out of wedlock, like my older sister, she was really bought in. She was really like locked in. She was going, she was go. she was paying, working during her high school years. So she could, she wanted to go to a Christian private school she didn't want to go to secular school. Like my sister, she really bought in. Um, and then me and my little brother. And then eventually the little sister that came, um, we, we were the ones who were, um, always sort of like, at times we would be more zealous and we'd be tick over to mom's side. But then at times, you know, we would like, kind of like dad would let us watch Beavis and butthead. And there would be these arguments <laughs> of like, yep. should we, t- I'm going to tell mom, we watch it. Don't tell mom, you know, like, and uh um, is your
1: older sister uh same dad you and different
0: dads actually that's okay. the thing is like she had a different dad but it, it, my, my mom was married three times and actually the worst marriage was the third one to the actual christian guy that was the guy that like was abusive and all this stuff and
1: oh no shit yeah and, so and your my dad, dad was the second marriage
0: yeah he was a second marriage and he, he was a hot mess he was an alcoholic but he wasn't really the laying hands on a woman type you know Uh, I remember he punched a hole in a wall once, but I, I, he might've just been really drunk and confused. I don't know why, what that was all about, but, um, uh, yeah, so it was, and then finally getting into my teens. That's when I, I made my, I, uh, I had these older cousins who were listening to Nirvana and grunge and they were getting into more and, and even uncles and stuff who were like introducing me to like, um, talking heads and other cool bands. And, I, I made this, there was this PBS documentary that I watched at the age of 12 about punk rock in like 1995. And, um, I made the decision then to be, I was going to be punk. I was going to be yeah. fucking <laughs> punk, you know? And so at the age of like 12, I, I like, I just knew that like, I, I punk helped me to really divest from the real, from the, fundamentalism of my mom Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad was kind of out of the picture then but like i said he was kind of punk and new wave in the 80s so like there was probably a lot of that that had to do with like wanting to like through these bands and stuff they felt like a connection to my dad because he wasn't around so all that to say like i became this very defiant punk but then the weird thing about that and i talked a little bit to casey about this in our sort of preliminary call was that um there was this phenomena here in the Midwest of like churches that ran punk clubs. Are you guys, do you guys have experience with that? Like what's your background and all that? We, we,
2: well, there was definitely like some churches that ran venues, but we're a little later on. I mean, I wasn't really doing anything music wise until I got to college. Okay. So I was like mid two thousands before it was really catching, but you know, like in college, there was a, a little church near the school that basically just let us have their extra building and we ran shows and stuff out of there. And I know there was several of those in Lynchburg, but yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that was such a thing during the,
0: because this would have been the 90s, right? Yeah, this was this was like the mid to late 90s when I first started delving in. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any familiar, like, I, no church that I was ever part of was, doing shows and putting on stuff like that. It's funny because yeah, I remember talking about like that with friends. Like, would it be sick if churches did that? And then I go to Lynchburg and I realize that, oh, there are some doing that. Yeah. But, I mean, again, that's like early, early to mid 2000s. Uh, okay. So
0: yeah, I'm like, I guess I'm 10. Am I 10 years ahead of you guys? Like uh, I'm, I'm 38.
1: Okay. 33. So 33, yeah, 34.
0: Okay. So no, it probably like you guys were like, eighth grade ninth grade and i would have been like a senior i guess uh, you yeah, know. Which yeah. May, i
1: mean we did i don't i didn't even find my way into like a music scene until i was like uh i guess maybe like a sophomore in high school is when i feel like i started okay uh, kind of like <clears throat> finding my way into that world
0: were you guys like emo core were you hardcore were you punk did you uh, define yourself
1: <laughs> i would i wouldn't have known much at the time i don't think i would have uh i wouldn't have had much of a definition but it was, like, I don't know, I, really the metalcore was, like, the big for us, though, uh, or for me, uh, with, mm-hmm. like, your occasional, like, hardcore bands, but not really. I actually, I never loved the, like, when, like when Beatdown Hardcore started, when you're, like,
3: bury gent- your dead,
1: throw down, yeah. stuff like that. I was, like, it was just, like, the heavy, like, chugging and breakdowns and stuff. I was, like, I, I never did a lot for me. Uh, that yeah. weird shit, like, you know, you're doing the never any
0: breakdowns. Like, like, they just live for the fucking, like. You know, like the hardcore kicks and all that. Yeah. Um, well, see, it's funny because I so just being a, like maybe five years, of getting a five year jump on you guys, like delving into a scene, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was like getting into the late 90s when I was like really locked in. But that was like when tooth and nail was really starting to kind of come into their own, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so there was this club in town. Called the Hoy Palloy, uh in uh, technically in Mishawaka, Indiana, which was like like a sort of like an offshoot of South Bend, um, and uh, I think I mentioned to Casey like um, th- just as a fun little like uh, name drop thing. Like I actually I went to high school, middle school, and high school with Adam Driver, who would eventually become like Kylo Ren in the Star Wars movies and shit. You know, yeah,
1: yeah, Adam Driver. That's so funny. Yeah
0: as a little periphery thing like he he was actually the funny story about him is that like I remember my friend Ben tried to like get him into our like group of punks and metalheads and shit but he was like a weird theater kid that like he, like we actually were like we pulled Ben aside and we're, like dude this guy's not gonna gel with our like he's too weird like he's too geeky that and so awesome. like we rejected <laughs> Adam Driver and, and I, <laughs> it's like haunts me to this day that <laughs> you can I have his number
1: and, in your phone right now dude
0: yeah right right And, like, I'm, like, because I look at him now and, like, he's doing, like, movies with, like, directors that I just love. You know, like, he's doing all these weird art house movies and shit along with doing, like, the Star Wars shit. And And I'm, like, every time your name
2: comes comes into his head, he's, like, forget the past. Kill it if you have to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. His Kylo Ren. So that's kind of relevant because his Kylo Ren, he was doing the moody Midwestern like arty guy thing that we were all into. Like he was kind of like, I feel like he's taken that angsty Midwestern, like late nineties, early aughts kid prototype. And like, he's, that's what Kylo Ren is. That's what he's doing in those movies, you know? <laughs> um, anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Just a little, that's a little, that's a fun fact. That's a fun trivia fact. <laughs> but for all I know, he was probably coming to the Hoi Poi too, at the same time, just, we just thought he was too dorky. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what do I know? Because now he's like two nerd Oscar alert. nominations in, and probably a bajillionaire.
1: Yeah, I bet he's still a total nerd, though.
0: <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you gotta be to be as focused and kind
1: of brooding as he
0: tends to project his image to be. But
1: actors um, have to be weird. You can't be normal and like just like get into a zone of such emotional vulnerability pretending to be somebody else while you're just absolutely bawling in a scene. And then they're like, all right, cut. And you're like, cool, I'm done. Like, yeah, it's right. a, a weird chameleon aspect to actors that I don't get that. I'm like, are you, I don't know. Yeah. It's, and he, I, and I, he yeah, was I can't past- imagine getting in that headspace at all. It seems so strange.
0: I know. And he, and he's become, he's, I kind of, he's become like our generations, Christopher Walken, you know, he's playing all these brooding roles and like, um, like I said, though, like I very much in his brooding, there's a very much like um, a, a Midwestern, like um, sad kid element to it that like he I knew he absorbed while growing up here. And and what's funny I is to confess
1: real quick. I've yeah. never seen him in anything. I haven't. Oh, so you seen never saw the new Star Wars? Any of the girls. Star Wars movies? I like I know I know the references. I'm just around so many Star Wars fans. I yeah, yeah. He's he's
0: like the new Darth Vader. He's like the he plays Darth. He his character Kylo Ren, I think is his name in the movies. He he plays him like a sad emo kid. He's got like a swoop of hair, and and he's like and he and he gets real. He gets so mad that he like punches walls and shit. You know, like
1: like a slightly better Anakin
0: yeah yeah exactly he's a better anakin and anakin he, and he
1: definitely
0: yeah anakin was a wait yeah that i mean the prequels don't get me started but uh but anyways
2: right. i'm just, trying to hold I my peace it, here but you guys are really trying my patience with
1: your prequel critiques oh are you pro- oh you're, <laughs> a big, you're a big anakin fan i didn't realize you were so prequel apologist over here. to the okay. emotionally dead character of anakin Skywalker. <laughs>
0: He killed so many younglings. The younglings. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Dude, we're getting wasted. I knew was, waste
1: nothing at that point in my life. I was so young. I mean, I was young when those came out. I can't remember how old, but even then, I remember being like, I think this is what bad acting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I remember walking out of the prequels. I was of that age where you walked out and you wanted, you convinced yourself they were good because you there was no way in your mind they were going to be bad movies. So it's like, I remember coming out of Phantom Menace back in 99. Like that was great. Like kind of like a fake, you know, like zealotry for like,
1: how good that
0: movie was. And it's,
2: it's, they're great in a blockbuster sort of way, you know, like they're visually impressive and it's a fun story and stuff. But like the story
1: slapstick comedy is, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Top notch. The, the racial under level. the
0: the ra- slightly racist caricature of. Jer- <laughs> no, I'm just that <laughs> um, now I'm just being like a a, a troll. But um, <laughs> actually, but I do. I actually liked the. Did you like the sequels, Casey? The the seven, eight, nine with Kylo Ren and, and I like. Uh,
2: I like the Force Awakens. It kind of broke apart from there for me.
0: Well, I know I a had- lot of people did. My hot take is that I like them, and I and I actually think, uh, uh, what was the second one in that series? The um, The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. To me, that's like second to Empire Strikes Back as one of my favorite Star Wars
1: movies. You so, just can't remember the name, but we're gonna. Yeah, I, we know, gotta, I know. We gotta agree to disagree.
2: <laughs> this is like we we might as well be arguing over abortion right now because
0: there's no common ground. <laughs> This just just needs to float to the top of this episode as like the hot topic of this episode <laughs> is prequels versus sequels with Star Wars. Um, anyway, um, I don't
1: know so, how we got off on this or where we do. That. I need a
0: A fucking Midwestern moody Mishawaka right. son of a bitch.
2: You know what's funny <laughs> is like you talk about like actors being chameleons and stuff, but like it's hilarious. Like you were talking about. Watching that PBS documentary about punks, and mm-hmm. I feel like everyone—maybe some people weren't—but everyone that was like, like I was that very much like this insecure, don't know who I am, wish I was yeah. something else, but don't know what to be, sort mm-hmm. of person, you know. And I remember like going to a metalcore show and seeing Haste the Day and being like, "Oh my god! Like this is this is yeah. it? That's that's what I want to. Yeah. I want to yeah. do that." And then just like throwing yourself completely Mm -hmm. in that direction. And therefore, like this is an identity that I can plug
0: in, you know? Yes, exactly. No, that's, that's a perfect way to bring it back on track. Casey is that like, that's, that was what it was for me. It was like punk became that for me, like mid nineties punk. Um, it's, and this is kind of, again, where the Christian stuff keep weaves in and out of my story because, um, I was getting into no effects, screeching weasel, Obviously, Green Day and Offspring and some of the biggies, but um, lo and behold, this this band MXPX and this band Ninety Pound Wuss, like they show up. They actually played at this club here in Mishawaka, the Hoy Ploy. Um, and I still can't remember if I went to that show. I, I don't think I did go to that show. I think it's just been talked about so much that I put myself there, but I don't <laughs> actually think I was at the at the like ninety seven MXPX show.
1: I have I, that experience with. Uh, I, I swear to God, I've seen between the Barry and me, but I don't <laughs> think I've ever actually seen between Barry. Yeah,
0: me. That, I exactly, yeah. and we're only getting older, and it's only getting fuzzier, you know. And yeah, it's I, like...
1: remember, I know, I but I know, I. It's like there was one show. It was like a what it been like a a rock and shock. I don't know if anyone got rock and shock through their city. No, what,
0: what's what's rock and shock? It was like
1: a just a two day festival of like okay, just heavy okay, bands. Um, but. I was like, yeah, I was just worn out. It was like probably day two and it was in the afternoon and everyone's like, we got to stay for BT Bam. And I'm like, yeah, definitely. And then I think I missed it. I think I didn't go see it, <laughs> but I swear to God, I remember seeing it and everyone talking right. about it. I'm like, I can picture but then them. They're straight. like, you weren't there, man. I you just, went back to the tent. Yeah. I don't think. I was there.
0: <laughs> No, I know it's, it's getting a little fuzzy. Yeah. Uh, But there's one show. So that, that was the thing here in the Midwest and you got to understand too, the Midwest is home to a lot of like, um, a, lot cornfields. Of punk, a lot of cornfields, but a lot of pop punk and emo started here. Like in Chicago, you had um, Jawbreaker, you had um, Peg, uh, Peg boy, you had uh, naked Ray gun. Uh, and these guys were all under the tutelage of Steve Albini who went on to, um, he, he recorded Nirvana's in utero album. And the Pixies okay. and shit. Steve Albini's kind of like the elder statesman punk rocker up in these parts, you know? Um, royalty, even. I mean, I mean, he, you know, but uh, and then, so you had kind of this emo pop-punk, screeching weasels from up here, squirt gun. You had this emo pop-punk stuff that was actually starting to hatch up here. But then kind of sort of like in tandem with that, Tooth and Nail, you had Pedro the Lion, you had MXPX, you had, and then, I mean, later on you had Under Oath and Emery and like, but uh, a lot of the formative emo bands um, were like Christians, you know, a um, Juliana Theory and oh, stuff. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. like Juliana Theory played up here, uh, Taking Back Sunday played up here. Like they, these blindside POD came and played like small little shows up here before they all blew up, you know? And so we were there my my scene I grew up in became this weird mix of like godless punk rock kids and then like Christian punks and Christian hardcore kids and Christian emo kids. Um and then this and so and then one of the popular bands uh, uh that really kind of came up in the scene and got started getting just as much respect um as like a lot of the um non-Christian bands around here was a band called Blue Owl Circus, and I later was in a band with the guys from that band, my Christian hardcore band was with those guys later on, but blue off circus, they were like the youth group kids at this, uh, Hoy Ploy church, but then they were also working security on the weekends. And the thing about the Hoy Ploy was, so they would have MXPX come in when MXPX was on, was on tour and shit, but then they would also let all the like godless punk bands come and play. So like there was a really big band up here called the jerk you know, okay. just like a total offensive <laughs> fuck you, fuck your mom kind of punk band. <laughs> and the Hoy Ploy was like so kind of trying to do outreach that they would let the Jerkoffs come play. There was kind of like a no cussing rule. But when the Jerkoffs played, they would break it. And it was cool. You know,
1: so edgy. I, that's another I forgot about no cussing rules. That Dude, Casey, all the like Crosspoint and stuff had was Crosspoint was a church that uh, ended up putting on like doing all the shows and stuff like that. And I remember So you
0: guys grew up in the same scene together.
1: Uh, Well, is all college. So we were, at, we were at Liberty together. And yeah. We were, Lynchburg so, but, had
2: a, had a pretty big, like Christian music scene. A lot of bands yeah. stopped through there on tours and yeah. stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the, the church would do like, they had like a no cussing rule. Most of the time right. people like did just roll with that. Uh, I remember them like, I remember like the, the first time they started considering not doing shows anymore was like some kid was just, I don't know, drank too much liquor in the parking lot and was just barfing <laughs> her brains out on the side too of the church. Schlitz,
0: uh, too much Schlitz, too much Mad Dog. <laughs> <laughs> too many wine coolers that's when um, like
1: it gets real for churches They're like we wanted to do ministry and it seems like this is blowing up in our face
0: <laughs> what have we become oh my god <laughs> yeah no and that was the white plates for us uh, yeah so it sounds like similar shit like we would go to the there was a park and we would go down there and drink our like zima or whatever you know whatever like a uh, frilly alcohol we were drinking at the time and then like Go to the Hoi Polloi and like puke in their bathroom and shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and then and that caused all, and so that was crazy because I remember further uh, further seems forever played we played with them uh, when they had their second singer but um, one of their earlier shows they came up here with Chris Caraba and played like a small little house show. And there was a girl I went to high school with, Christina Keiki, who was dating Chad Neptune, the bassist from Further Seems Forever, like long distance or something. I, they, <laughs> whenever they'd come around, they'd him and her would make out or something. I don't know. You might need to cut that out because he's probably like, a respectable married – Further Seems Forever is still like popular, so because they they reunited. I don't think Chris we're gonna Farama. take
1: down their career. I'm not doing
0: <laughs> all the dirt here on the on, <laughs> on my.
1: But I am gonna tag them in this uh, episode, post, please so. do yes,
0: <laughs> um, yeah, Christina Cakey and Chad Neptune he uh, the, I, anyways, so that was what was kind of crazy is like there was all these touch points, you know, and then, um a lot of us godless punks started converting to Christianity. uh, the first one to do it was my friend Ray he, and I currently uh, am now back i can't I was living in Texas for years, obviously. I'm now back in South Bend and I'm working for Ray now with his screen printing shop. Um, but uh, he, we, we've been having a lot of funny conversations lately about his born again time. And he went to cornerstone and he came back like, and he, that he came back with like 90 pound wuss albums, crash dog albums, um, like squad five. like all these old tooth and nail bands and shit. And like, he was showing them to us and we were like, and we had to admit we're like head noise or crash noise is one of them. We had to admit like these bands are fucking cool. Like yeah. th- these Christian punks and hardcore kids. Like that was the thing is like further seems forever. Like they are now talking, they're not just, that was what tooth and nail did tooth and nail. Oh, like yeah. in the eighties, Striper and all those bands, it was like Striper was the Christian version of Van Halen. Right. But or rat, I guess, is what they would or Motley Crue, but um but that was what Brandon Evil and Tooth and Nail did. I gotta give them a lot of credit, is that they broke that mold of like Christian bands trying to sound like secular bands and yeah, they were definitely. like they like Pedro the Lion, Further Seems Forever, Zao, these guys were like part of those scenes, you know. Yep. Zao is consider- considered one of the architects of Metalcore. They're not just a band that was trying they were like were there at the foundation of it. And that was another show I saw back in the day, man. Fucking, I saw Zayo, like so many. They play up here in the Midwest so much, like, and and Zao became like a fucking force of nature when Zao was oh, in yeah. town. Like, it didn't matter what Christian, not Christian, punk, metal, because there was all these infightings between the punks and the metalcore kids. And but when Zao played, everybody went. And there it was always like, that
1: like scene, like people pushing against each other's scenes. Because I remember, yeah. like, I was at, I had a show in near me where like. Uh, they ended up combining two shows. We had a venue that had upstairs shows and downstairs shows, okay. and do uh, two, two at the same time. But something got fucked up, and uh, they combined these shows, and now there's like five, like six or seven bands on the show. Uh-huh. You have Zayo playing. This is. The amount of people who are listening that don't give a fuck. I mean, we should move <laughs> I, on from music soon. But, um, I'm so sorry. that, uh, because played with Black Dahlia Murder and all the Black Dahlia Murder fuck fans yeah. were like, Tell us about Jesus. Like, right, yeah, yeah, Jesus yeah. The whole time. <laughs> it, it, so is, it is funny,
2: though, like, you know, you, like, you speak so affectionately about the hoi polloi, you mm-hmm. know, and it, it's, it's funny how. There's so much, there's so much emphasis in that era of Christianity and, like, probably still today, I don't know, I'm not plugged into it anymore, but, like, this, like, protectionist, like, we can, we're concerned about outreach, but we're really, what our goal is, is to quarantine our children from that over there. And, like, you know, (sighs) when you allow people to just be and exist in those same spaces and stuff like that like that's where actual evangelism and and change and things like that happens yeah. like there's an appeal to your your institution when it's accepting of outside people and when it doesn't constantly like you know nitpick everyone mm-hmm. around them and try to Policing push them into everybody. a everybody
0: yeah exactly. who's making
2: out Who's drinking wine coolers, you know? And it's funny because you see it play out in so many different ways and everything. I mean, I I think the same thing is – it's really what's happened to our country over the past few years is like if you want to ensure that people disavow your message, uh, drown out everything else, you know? Try to protect them from that information over there. And you're guaranteed mm-hmm. you're going to drive a portion of them right to it. You know, it's like, yeah, oh, for sure. All you can do is just allow people to, to experience things freely and, and make it a decision based on the merits of what they hear, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, that, and, and that's actually what drew me in. Like I, I became my, I, I, so after becoming a, an atheist anarchist at the age of at the ripe age of 13, it <laughs> was because
1: out. Of, yeah, it was yeah, know yeah, I had it, all. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was literally be, like it It took seeing like Zao and further seems forever at like these like small. Sometimes they would be, only be playing for like 30 of us, um, you know, this fucking Midwest, man. You got to like tr- you got to like. uh go through all the elements like the snow and the and the sleet and the uphill both ways to get to shows around here you know yeah. at least back then but it was that's what did it for me in a lot of, that's what started chipping away at me as far as like um and then some other some big life stuff happened I, a, a close friend slash first blood cousin died around that time and i and then yeah so there's some of these people from the hoi polloi um came around me and like were really there for me and like uh they ended up like uh i was in such a desperate kind of there was a lot of there's some mental illness i had too and i had this real genuine born again experience like um with one of the gals from that like she was one of the tooth and nail hardcore gals like led me into prayer like the like to accept jesus and i did and um and so for me, like, my conversion was, like, I had this real genuine, so I had this, again, I had this weird dichotomy of, like, kind of growing up with both streams, like, a, a really heathen dad, a really fundamentalist mom, kind of, like, all intertwined. And then when I got of age, I, I was of age to just reject it all. And then it was through the Christian punk scene that I became a Christian. Like, I was when, that's when, in my late teens, like I gave my life to the Lord. And and then what was crazy about all that was that then I beca- I was I was in this band called Don't Shoot On With God up here that um, just in this little sphere became kind of a there was rumors that Tooth and Nail wanted to sign us and all that. I don't I don't know how true any of that was, but like we were playing with uh, shows with for First Seems Forever and Element 101 and all these Tooth and Nail bands. And um, we were starting to uh, and, and we were called. Like I said, we were called Don't Show Him with God. We, we took our name from a – there's a Jeff Daniels movie. He's a Midwesterner too and uh, the from Dumb and Dumber, you know. Uh, and um, he made this movie called Escanaba into Moonlight. And we, Absolutely. Yes. The fucking – got to go bag a buck. You know what I'm saying, Nate? Eh? And uh, if I, if there was a light in the – there's this glowing like alien light in a in a in an outhouse in the movie and there's a, a char- one of the characters one of the like um midwestern hunter guys like he's like going to go inspect it and he's like all right guys i'm going to go check it out and if because it, it, they think they don't know if it's god or if it's aliens and he's like but if i if i turn around and i go like this it means hold your fire on with god <laughs> <laughs> And we <laughs> took that and we kind of, I think we misremembered it. And it, so it became don't shoot on with God. And, um, but we became kind of a force to be reckoned with up here. Like um, I was, so I became, none of us were, and at that point, the hoi ploy had folded. Like as all those small little non denominational oh, yeah. churches tend to do, it It'll last ended for in too long. tears. And I,
1: but this is their uh, tax exempt status,
0: right? 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 (laughs) So we became like this ragtag bunch of like not connected to any actual local body church Christian punk hardcore kids, and I was super zealous. I was like, I, I was going to these fucking shows, playing with these crust punks and these hardcore bands, and I was just like. It wasn't just like, Jesus loves you. It was like, Jesus fucking loves you. I, I would like, try, you know, it was like, edgy, you know. <laughs> Later on, Mark Driscoll became the cussing pastor, but I was, I think I made it, I was there before he was. You were so the was, original cussing pastor. I was the original cussing pastor. And I like you way better than Mark Driscoll. <laughs> that reminds me, have you guys been listening to the Rise and Fall podcast? I no. you have not.
1: There's a podcast What's your about- face? Yeah. No, I, Stephanie I Drury,
0: about, like, really
2: trashed it on, oh, on yeah, yeah. her show, so I was, like, skeptical. I wasn't sure if I should try
0: it or not. Well, it is coming from – it's made by Christianity Today, and it sounds yeah. like the guy making it is like us. He's got – I can tell he's, like, a ex-Christian metalcore kid or something, you know? Because okay. he, he drops, like, a Refuse reference at one point in this fucking podcast, but um, –
1: I think but the thing he, with that that's like caused some issues. So he is, I mean, Mike. It's uh, Mike Cosper, and he's still very like he's big with Christianity today. Yeah, yeah. He is. Um, he's still kind of like an evangelical Christian. And yeah, he's
0: still like a reformed the, guy. I think. I still. Yeah, I think so he's, that's, yeah,
1: yeah. The criticism he's getting is like they're they're trying to tell a story about Mark Driscoll without without being critical of the culture that breeds people like Mark Driscoll. Uh, so if you can listen to it uh and uh, and just listen to it for what it is for the rise and fall of Mars Hill, um, knowing that they're not gonna be overly critical of evangelical culture. Like for for Mike Cosper, it's like this is evangelical culture gone wrong. This is what happens yeah, when you do yeah, it wrong. You're right. As opposed to like yeah. a lot of people feeling like evangelical culture is the problem and that's not the exception. Uh but it's being treated like it I think it's probably a not either or. There's probably a little bit of both going on there. Uh, it sounds like a bit. I mean, my understanding of Mars Hill is within evangelical culture. It it can be an exception within evangelical megachurches. Maybe not that much of an exception. Uh, it depends on, I guess, how you grew up and parse it out. Because uh, I don't know. It, the spotlight makes a bit of a difference too. So it's I, I think it's a little bit murkier than just like it's trash or it's telling the perfect story, but you're getting definitely some truth. It sounds, but I haven't started yet. So this is all my just picking it up from various sources and piecing (laughs) together. something that I don't really have any right to be speaking about, but that's fine.
0: (laughs) No, you're doing it. What's funny is I've listened to every damn episode and you're, you're almost encapsulated it perfectly. It's like, it's somewhere in between, you know, Mm. as far as like, um, see, because I, Casey did you want to say say something Casey I feel like I cut you up no 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 I'm okay I have an ancillary question uh yeah you can ask it because I'm about to go on like a Mark Driscoll tangent so go ahead and ask your question (laughs) why
2: (laughs) I was just curious what like your what did uh
0: stepdad think of your many different stages oh the the asshole abusive Christian stepdad um that guy, like, um, that was such a weird thing because, you know, this all kind of ties together, actually. Let me really quickly say finish my thought with Sam and then Casey, I'll answer that. Because, Sam, you brought up an interesting point is that with that Mark Driscoll podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, I think it's it's almost kind of fascinating that they brought in a guy that's still in the realm in a way because – it, be, it kind of stops it from becoming total revenge porn like or um, failure porn is what they – it's the word that's getting thrown around. Okay. Like it's – because I think if it was a totally disenfranchised like ex-evangelical, this guy does seem to be telling it from like the standpoint that like um, – yeah, like not everybody – it's like it's not black and white. That's kind of the point of this guy, the way he's unfolding the story in the podcast and i've actually been pretty impressed i actually started it thinking i was going to that the fact that it was from an evangelical christianity today perspective that i was going to be like uh arms crossed but the, he, he at least his persona in the podcast i don't know the guy in real life I mean, he could be like a wife beating like child molester for all I know, but like, he sounds like a pretty, like, like he's trying to, he's trying to, he's that evangelical guy that we all know that's trying to still stay in it and live the convictions the best he can. That's how he comes across. And so the reason that kind of segues into your question, Casey, is because I'm, I'm an extreme personality. You guys can probably tell I'm a little, I'm I'm probably like Bianca in that way that that's probably why we dated for two seconds is that we're both kind of boisterous and, extreme extreme viewpoints but um that's the thing with my stepdad is like if i really if i get away from the, even that language of oh yeah the asshole christian stepdad i that was a time when like i was learning grace for myself and the concept of like what christian grace really meant and like um i started to see this guy who was who was abusive to my family and who um uh i don't ever really want to have anything to do with him again, as far as like, you know, person to person contact. But I did see this guy who was like, in a way he was a casualty of evangelicalism, you know, he was like some, he was this mentally ill guy that probably needed to be on meds and probably needed something more than just Christian therapy. For and sure. Yeah. He, and he was remarried and he, and he was like a blended family. And, um, and I, I had moments with this guy where like, because he liked uh, he actually was kind of a rocker guy himself. He wasn't the stereotypical like only listen to Christian music guy. He was a guy that would listen to Led Zeppelin and shit. Like he was he was a guy that I think that got saved like later on in his life, right? So unlike maybe all three of us, I could be being presumptuous, he didn't grow up in it, I don't think, you know. So he was a guy that was like kind of like he probably had his own born again experience and then was trying to do the best that he could is often, that's what my therapist often uses that term. You know, people do are always trying to do the best. They, they, they can only do the best they know. And there was moments with this guy that like, I had these tender moments with him where like, he would like come to me crying and like admitting, like he knew he needed to change and like, he didn't know how. And here I am, this young, zealous Christian punk rock kid who like, um, and I'm just listening to him and I'm kind of seeing the humanity in this broken guy, you know, who like um, had a broken brain, you know, he had like all kinds of mental, he had like ADHD and, and like a hyperactivity and all this stuff. And, and in a weird way, like I came out of that situation, like, I mean, that guy decimated my family. Don't get me wrong. Like there, there's really a side of me that can really just go off on this guy, but I kind of learned there was this weird that was one of my first real examples of like extending Christian grace as a new like zealous young punk rock Christian was this broken guy that was like trying to like steer my family in the right direction or whatever and do it in like but like he would do things like so at the same time I had a little brother who after his sort of like born again experience faded because he also had sort of like a punk rock born again thing but it faded for him pretty quick. And he was back to like listening to like black metal and all this shit. And I remember like my stepdad went up there one day into his room and saw my brother was listening to, to like Burzum or some black metal band or something. And in my stepdad's like, you're the one. You're the one bringing the satanic influence into the house. Like, cause he found like the, the pentagram, whatever, you know, CD. Oh yeah. And, but it got so intense that my, like, he like, my brother like fucking pulled a knife on him. Oh shit. Yeah, and it was like back the fuck off it cuz like that was my stepdad. He would he he would get he would short circuit and he would become abusive. And um so that so again, that's just always my experience with evangelical Christianity was always this weird mixed grab bag of like yeah. Shit, you know?
2: That's, that's so much to sort out. I mean, <laughs> that's I don't understand. <laughs>
1: Therapy, God. therapy is hell. Yeah, Trust me. yeah, that seems <laughs> I, like the key word there, man. I mean, trying to at that age when you're being influenced by so many different things, when you're seeing your dad go one way, your mom go another, your mom who you love uh entering into a relationship with a guy who treated you guys all like shit, and yeah, your mom probably yeah. has—I bet your mom probably felt some guilt about that too—and knew what was going on. It's like the amount of like layers going on there, uh, being able to unpack that. I, I mean, I don't know that grace was the word that you had back then. It sounds like that's something you came to terms with a little bit later on, but. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. It, it seems like that's, I mean, if you're not going to look at it that way, the other, I mean, the other, op- I mean, there's plenty of options, I guess, but it sounds like you're, you know, I, that for you that, that being able to extend that and see him as a broken person who never got the help that he needed. Uh, and also had the overbearing influence of a evangelical culture that was convinced yeah. that the message they had and the help they were trying to give was all that he really needed and exactly. it clearly wasn't and that's a huge problem yeah, uh, yeah of really course not like, excusing abuse or anything like that and doesn't right, right, here right. To do that.
2: you can't you can't really understate that like that's late term after effects of the satanic panic too and like exactly. music was such a huge part of Yes, the the paranoia there, and because I remember, you know, hearing about—I don't remember their names—but the the kids that were listening to Judas Priest and killed one kid, killed killed himself with a shotgun. The other kid blew his own face off and lived. And yeah, I think there's a whole documentary made. Yeah, and it was all because of Judas Priest, you know,
0: and their satanic music. Mm, And exactly, and that was that. You're so that image of my stepdad finding the black metal CD in my brother's room. And like, that was the thing. It was like the way he's like, you're the one, like, it was almost like he was saying my, all this brokenness that I have, like, it's cause you brought this CD into the house, you know? I'm
2: yeah, sick yeah. because
0: you've been poisoning <laughs> <Yeah>. my food. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And that's that's like a paranoid delusion that comes with mm-hmm.
0: it. And I think if anything, I mean, we, we might not even get into masters. I don't know how much more time you guys got, but um, I think if anything, that's a good nugget to kind of like take away from this is that like, um, just uh, the layers of like, e- yeah, evangelicalism, the satanic panic stuff. I'm glad you actually called that by name, uh, Casey, because uh, that's exactly what we grew-, we grew up in the shadow of that. You know, my mom was somebody who like, you know, the exorcist, like never, if there's one thing you do in life is please d- don't ever watch the exorcist, you know, like <laughs> that movie will drag you straight to hell, you know, which is funny now. Cause I watch it now and it's like almost like a Christian movie. If you really think about it, it's like they're using the power of Christ to expel the evil. But, um, yeah, but that was a movie that kicked off a lot of that. And that was sort of the shadow that sort of eighties into the nineties evangelicalism that I grew up in. um, was definitely the satanic panic stuff was a huge shadow looming large over a lot of the st- my mom doing those room cleansings was her getting rid of all the the comics and the in the albums and the and the even the action figures that were like they literally thought these things had like a a juju you know what yeah, i mean like they're exuding like this negative
2: energy into the space yeah right and everybody is under the influence of it you
0: know yes yes and it was yeah it was like they it was like they treated it like finding like um radioactive material like you were st- stashing it or something or, yes. you know what i mean and um and yeah and so like but i guess if this this kind of like scatterbrained uh approach i'm taking right now i guess the whole landing pad at this very moment of the conversation is that exactly kind of what sam was saying is that that's the thing about evangelicalism. It was like, it's this weird multi-perspectival layered thing. And to grow up in it is like, cause like, again, I think back even to the United Pentecostal church, like there was a lot of good people in that church. Like a lot of, I can remember this guy in the church and it wasn't creepy at all. He, like he was a guy who was married, had like daughters, but I, he didn't have any sons. And so he felt compelled to like round up like, I think he might have done this regularly like he would take a lot of the kids that didn't have fathers in the church out on like um to the to this we call them the indiana dunes up here these giant sand dunes and he would like teach us how to use like pocket knives and like um and then like we would climb trees and do like boy little boy rambunctious boy stuff and then he would do like a little devotional at the end you know like and like teach us about the fruits of the spirit or whatever and i that's actually a, a, a good memory I have. Like, I, I, I do remember these gentle, loving people in the evangelical realm who were never really the, a lot of times they weren't the people jockeying for positions at the towards, like, the pulpit. Mm-hmm. There were always these, like, kind of salt of the earth people, like, in the back pews, you know, that were, like, actually sort of living, trying to live what this ancient text was telling you to do, you know what I mean? Like... They're actually trying to be Christ-like, you know. It's it's like there's,
2: you know, there's definitely a um, a comfort in having a simplistic ideas about some of this stuff to just write it off as this bad, that bad, this yeah. person evil, whatever, you know, and right. and stepdad uh,
1: asshole, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's just. But, you know, you can't really come to terms with the truth of it unless you're willing to to delve into it a little bit. But it's, it's it's a lot of work and it's mentally and emotionally taxing to examine all those little things about it,
0: you know? Oh, yeah. Like, currently, I have a trifecta. I have my own trinity. Well, again, I'm still a Christian and we can get into all that maybe some other time. But, like, uh, therapy, sobriety, medication... <laughs> that's what that that is (laughs) those are three things that have helped me uh process you want to talk about deconstructing and processing those are three things that help me like that's the thing too with a lot of these sort of cranky ex-evangelicals some of them i'm like dude like go to fucking therapy man like you can eat like this is something that's like Shading every part of your life, you know, like, yeah, yeah, and, and I get that way too. like, like I said, my roommate, me and him, sometimes we still get in moments where we're like, This fucking movement stole 10 years of fucking lives, like, what the, yep. Yep. you know, <laughs> we'll, we will go off on our tangents still. So, I'm not perfect in this, and um, but one of the things when I got sober, um, because after, because after master's, I, I was in the ministry uh, at that same church working alongside my sister and brother-in-law at that same church that we all went to masters at. And, um, once I started to kind of realize, like I started, I think I told this to Casey once, you know, like if you, they say, the saying is, if you ever want to eat chicken again, don't work at the chicken factory. Don't see how they (laughs) fucking pull these. Yeah. Don't see how the sausage
1: is made kind of shit.
0: Yeah. Don't see how that's probably the better uh, chickens. I don't know where I got chickens, but, (laughs) but, um, when I was starting, I went into like six years of alcoholism after my six years of holiness, you know? Oh, and, did you? Um, but one of the things I did when I got sober was I call, uh, uh, not, I didn't call him, but through Facebook messenger, I, uh, I made amends to my stepdad, you know? And it wasn't even like, um, I did cause in AA, which I, I'm a 12 stepper and they, you know, they talk about like clearing your side of the street, you know, there's plenty of stuff. I can remember like throwing chairs across the room and shit. Cause I was so mad at my stepdad for, his abuse. And, um, I just kind of like, you know, I just said, Hey, look, you know, back then it was chaotic. There was all, uh, we all kind of had mental issues. And, uh, I, I know I did some things that just added to the chaos. So I just, I'm just here to kind of like clear up my side of the street with that stuff. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and he accepted my apology, which was cool. Now he tried to kind of continue to contact me. And then, and, and then again, this is where boundaries come in. Yeah, And I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh no, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to continue a relationship. We're, we're not <laughs> going to do brunch. I just yeah, want to work for brunch. Full, but we're, you
2: know, no, yeah, uh,
0: I, yeah. no Sunday, Sunday afternoons. From this. I want to release you from this, which is so funny. It's like from occupying space
1: in your brain, right? Like right. it's not, it's yeah. the forgiveness is a, I mean, it's like forgiveness is as much about, you know, when, I mean, you could, if you want to put the Christian spin on it versus like forgiveness and reconciliation, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah. If, like forgiveness is like, so when you're even talking about like that angry ex evangelical notion, it's like if, if ex evangelicalism and, and the anger you have and justified anger, perfectly justified mm-hmm. anger. But if it's occupying a certain amount of space in your brain and it's taking and, and the level of anger you feel and, and if all of that is taking up more space in your brain and more time out of your life than just being an evangelical did like, Yes, it's one. There's a, there's a there's a better direction you can go in, uh and I, I'm not trying to say that it has to be done a certain amount of time. It might take, you know, people need that like, "fuck this, burn it all down" moment. Like, that. yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm not. I don't really want to prescribe the right way to heal, but I do know that at some level, if you if you let it just burn that hole in your brain, it's it's you're still letting evangelicalism continue to harm you. Um, as opposed to finding a way to release it in some way. Uh,
3: and it's not, not that you are it. uh, yeah.
1: it's not that like Casey and I aren't going back to it frequently with this, but um, you know I think it, it and it, it's not like we don't get angry about it and we haven't talked about our anger towards it. And it wells up all the time. Like yeah. you know any, any shit that comes up when, when, when you see the new polls about how evangelicals voted about this or that, you're just like Yeah. How fucking distant can you be from this Guy that you told me about that I gravitated yeah. towards, and right. I still think it's interesting and fascinating, <laughs> right. and a, right. a, a, something worth spending my time in life trying to, mm-hmm. up, as
3: mm-hmm. I
1: understand it, uh, yeah. and then to see the complete opposite happen is just what the fuck's going on here? Yeah, um, QAnon.
0: I mean, the the elephant in the room is QAnon, right? Like I yeah, sure. I, and and it, we don't have to spend too much time on QAnon, but I just I I just see so much it just seemed like 10 years. That's like the writing of the, on the wall that I was seeing when I left kind of, when I kind of snuck out the back door or whatever it was, I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is heading somewhere. Not good. Like this, this like for being a Republican and being a Christian and being synonymous and, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, um, this is not a good book. And beyond that, this is just, this is corrosive, uh, to the faith itself, I think, you know, and, and, And I I think that's the thing, though, is like um, a lot of these a lot of the QAnon stuff, I kind of see it as like um, it's it was like the evangelicalism primed the pump for that. You know, I feel like um, it it primed the pump for Mm -hmm. sort of like looking to a conservative politician as like a a messianic figure. You know, like the moment um, Jerry Falwell and France that Francis Schaeffer started like pushing the christian right agenda in like the early 80s you know like or i I guess that's the thing is like um that was more of the mid to late 80s when jerry falwell started doing that but before that i do remember there was this time even in the culty upc church where like there didn't seem to be this like melding of like conservative politics and christianity and 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 capitalism and christianity and america like i can remember at that upc church there was like there it was multicultural. There was blacks and Hispanics at this church, you know. Um, and I can remember there being a lot less of that. And then as time went on, and then post nine eleven, of course, it's mm-hmm. just like you know. I think the well—that's when like the poison like completely overtook the well with evangelicalism in my mind as an institution. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I really think it's it's a I really think it's a it's a wayward. I think it's become. Yeah. Again as somebody who, uh who still believes in the Father the son and the holy ghost in in ways that might be kind of unconventional um i I kind of think that uh um evangelicalism has almost become like a heretical it's become a heresy in my opinion like i don't think it's orthodox christianity anymore. but uh
1: yeah it's it's deviated and uh yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah i mean they might so, say so, like a couple of the things that they think make them right uh but how you how you live and how what you believe affects your life and other people how it affects other people how it Mm -hmm. hurts them how it doesn't how it heals them is that that's more important than the things that they say they believe because that's ultimately what if what they say they believe uh if what they say they believe is like the best thing in the it it just breaks down a lot because like to them the best thing is to just be saved and being saved is the admission of like three basic principles, and now you're all set and now yeah. you can just go on so uh, it it really breaks down on so many levels, I don't even know that it like I don't even know how, you can parse that all out and in some ways attempting to for a very long time, and it's that's where a lot of the frustration's coming from within uh with where we're at now uh, as a yeah. society but yeah
2: so yeah so how do you end up at masters
0: commission <laughs> sorry yeah. Yeah. we took it we, we 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 the panorama view now now casey's bringing us back in he's like um, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> masters at, that was i ended up there um because of my older sister like she started going to a christian college here in town like an actual accredited liberal arts college called bethel not not the weird Bethel on the west coast. It was an act, that's a whole, but it was like an actual Christian college. And uh, but then like masters would do this thing like Bianca was talking about in her episode where they would go around and sort of like uh, recruit. But you it was almost like you didn't know you were being recruited until you were like actually in masters. Like, all of a sudden you were like in a dorm with like ten other smelly dudes, and you're like, wait, how did I, how did I get here? <laughs> And I'm been so, on vacation. Um, this is a timeshare pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Five <laughs> years later, now I'm on. A, now I'm on staff at a church. What the hell's going on? Um. So I think she's something like that happened with her, where like she was going to Christian college. She was the again older sister, being the one who always had the halo. Um. She, the one we talked about at the beginning, her and the brother-in-law are the ones that kicked Bianca out of the program. Um. She, she something happened with her where she was going to go like the actual educated route. And then she must have been to something where masters got involved and she, and then masters would do this thing where they really just like, like, yeah, you're doing Christian college. You're doing like, you're going to youth group. You're, you're a good youth grouper, but like, do you really want to walk this into the extreme walk of Jesus, the Christ, you know, like, and that's kind of how, that's how they get you. Cause they, whatever, they they And they would usually call, like, the most zealous of the kids out of the youth groups in the Christian colleges. Mm-hmm. And um, those ended up being the kids that would, like, feel that, like, yeah, I, I'm not – I don't think I th- – that's the sad part about Masters was, like, it was the kids who were already doing all this. Like, they were already, like, getting to youth group early and serving the coffee and, like, reaching out yeah. to 10 kids and driving the church, man, and going on the admissions. Like, the kids that were already giving most
1: of their lives of this – they were the Which ones probably who felt- stemmed from an insecurity and a fear of not doing enough and not exactly doing, not doing exactly what you to do to, to get that jewel in your crown. So they kind of preyed on that fear. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, the kids who are already doing it are well, the ones the- who end up being part of it. Yeah, <laughs> Sam,
0: that's exactly right. Awesome. It's like that's the recruiters were the kids that were that were just in your youth group seat a year earlier. So it was like it wasn't that's where the weird of masters, and like you want to think there's a cabal behind it, but really it becomes this self perpetuating thing through the zealotry of these kids. It was like, sure, my,
1: that makes sense. My
0: brother in law is only three years older than me, and he was like a spiritual father figure in my life, or whatever you know. Like, that's the it's weird like the thing about the dorm
1: these- hierarchy at Liberty, Casey, where it's like, you know, most colleges, your your RA is just like, okay, making sure people don't die of alcohol poisoning, let me check yeah. on them uh but liberty it's like it almost treats r a like a pastor, and then under, under them they have the yes. spiritual life directors, the prayer leaders, so it's like yes, you build a hierarchy um in that allow- it's like what was that prison experiment that they did that <laughs> <a>
2: Stanford <laughs> prison experiment
1: yeah, it's like that where like you give people roles and they fucking fill them like people yes. play into it and, but it's and like yes
2: <laughs> you, th- you think about the kids who were what you're talking about you know, they were ultra dedicated. They were never dedicated in a way that was like a, a confident, like this is what needs to be done. And these are the, and this is the steps that need to happen. So I am going to do this, this and this and this and work my way towards this goal. And that's, it. you know, like yeah. a career, a career focused person might be right. Cause it's such an ambiguous thing. They were always, ones that were like, show me Lord, Show me where I can be of service. Here oh, am I. Choose God. me. You know, uh, they're, they're just and primed there. and ready and looking for exactly. that person to come along and say, I know what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's
0: slave labor for a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, if they would have sold <laughs> it that way, none of us would have. But but they sell it like, I know what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be fulfilling the destiny that God has for your life. You know, and it's like, I am supposed to be doing like, it. They really wrap it up. And, and, and I, and again, like Bianca was, it's so awesome that you had her because she did a great job of kind of giving nuance, uh, in her episode. Like she, there were, that was the crazy thing is like, once you get a bunch of young people together, it's not always going to be doom and gloom and like end times prophecy. It's like, there's going to be fart jokes yeah. and there is going to be like, like, I'm sure you guys, the same thing at Liberty, right? Like, there, there, there's probably so many. There's a million great times you can point to at Liberty. Maybe I don't know a thousand, a hundred. No, oh, yeah, def- tons. yeah. There's plenty yeah. of times. I
1: mean, you're yeah. on co- You're in college. You're on a dorm. You're goofing off. Like there's, there's plenty of good memories. Of course. Yeah. Can yeah, I just so- point out that there was a movie called The Experiment with Adrian Brody, and it was about that prison experiment. And yep, I, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty good. I just wanted to call back to that. and shout Little out recommendation. Adrian, that's all.
0: I'll check it out. I lo- I like Adrian. I'm pro I'm
2: pro Brody. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: So it's a little old, but anyway, go ahead. Sorry. That was uh He's like
2: Adrian Brody looks like Adam Driver if you put him oh, in. No, no, Brody. <laughs> he looks like him if you put him in like one of those jerky dehydrators.
1: Right. Yeah. Did you guys see Splice? Can I bring up can you just derail this a little bit more and talk about Splice? Go on Splice a Brody where-
0: tangent. Um I, he- I didn't see Splice, but it, it was like it looked fucking good. It
2: was it had a very distinctive cover at the video yeah. store. It's yeah. like they
1: like mix humans and animal DNA or some shit like that. I don't know. Yeah. All I know is like the pinnacle scene was when like he's been trying to like keep this thing safe and he fucks it at the end. And yeah, he fucks the alien, right? Shit. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like body horror. It's like Cronenberg type. Um, <laughs> David Cronenberg did like the '80s Fly with Goldblum. Uh, Brody is yeah. also. <laughs> Brody's in another really good movie called Wrecked, where yeah. the whole plot is he gets in a car crash, and it's just him crawling up a fucking like hill in the forest for an hour and a half to try
1: to back to civilization. It's like 137 like, hours with James Franco. Yeah. It's
2: like <laughs> rewinding the scene in uh, in Hot Rod, where he falls down the hill. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's
0: like
2: rewinding it slow. dramatic...
0: Slowly you know dramatic intensity you know uh, uh, yeah. yeah we had dad...
1: times at liberty anyway
0: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of adrian brody talk at liberty yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what are what are what are uh college students doing in their dorms if not like dissecting adrian brody movies um at 3 a.m um <laughs> over bong hits but not at liberty right no no never bong hits at liberty who can watch his movies if they were rated r that's <laughs> most of that's them that's right that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so safe. So, yeah, so in a way, it was like masters. Uh, how I got sucked into it was basically my sister. Like, I was in that Christian metal or that Christian. We were a weird band. We were kind of unclass. We were kind of unclassifiable. That sounds so <laughs> douchey. I'm sorry. No, but Christian metal band, Christian hardcore band, whatever you want to call us. Like, um, that I thought that was gonna go. I thought we would be playing Warp Tour with Under Oath eventually, but that never. Happened, so I was when all that came crashing down. My sister kind of came around, and my brother in law, and um, they were kind of like, Hey, since the band you know, since that's not the thing, it seems like that's not the thing that God wants. Have your maybe masters, you know. And what's funny is, at first, I didn't actually go to their masters, I did my first year here in South Bend at like a more, like a way cost, more cost effective version of masters here. But masters were like all over at that point, so I did it here at the local church that I uh, kind of was sort of tangentially involved with and um did my first year here. But then eventually, my sister and brother in law that's why I missed out. One second, <clears throat> sorry, edit that out. Like <laughs> that's okay, I'll make it. Flam in the throat. That's that's why I missed out on the, the first year. That's when Crystal and all them got like um blindfolded and tied up or some shit Yeah, like i that was missed unreal. out on that real i missed out on that because um i didn't go that year because I, you I were the one their...
1: doing it to be <laughs> <sense>. <laughs> that's the
0: twist of this whole
1: <laughs> i was the taliban stand-in yeah yeah, yeah i was the taliban <laughs> stand-in
0: um but yeah masters uh man we spent so much time on the other stuff but um masters for me was like because i unlike Bianca I actually st- I stayed on I became like a good evangelical for a few years I really tried and I and I got on the staff at that church I was um I was a minister in the in the college ministry I actually didn't like I always thought it was weird when when like guys my age were like I just feel a calling to like kids and youth I'm like I don't know like, like, like I don't really <laughs> want to be around kids like all the time so it's like I, I like I like my aspirations were more for like college and young careers. So that's, that's where they stuck me, but I had my name on a plaque and shit at that church. And I was actually like, and I, I preached a few sermons, but every time I preached a sermon, it was like, they wouldn't let me behind the pulpit again for a long time. Like, cause I would, it was always just like, how I'm talking now, these scatterbrained, like, you know, like, <laughs> let me tell you how, how, how Dr. Dre and Eminem are kind of like an example of discipleship. I remember I gave that. Sermon <laughs> <one time. laughs> and they were like, Bro, get him off the stage. Oh,
1: no, 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 no. We just last week gave a sermon about how M&M's poisoning your children's minds.
0: Right, and I'm like, Eminem's yeah. m ms like a christ like figure." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh we yeah, human like I feel like maybe we have to have a second part cuz I already feel like we've probably gone over your guys a lot of time, so <laughs> um, and, and, and I'll end it on the final twist. And if you guys ever have me back on, I can tell you, I, I just became a Mormon.
1: You can't be. Serious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I did. I just got baptized in the LDS church last week, <laughs> but, uh, that's a By whole mistake. other story for <laughs> no no
1: he tripped tri- into a pool and they happened to be a mormon pool.
0: <laughs> yeah they were like in waiting you know they were like he's coming like they have walkie talkies and shit and like, <laughs> they didn't put no, that uh
1: cover on it for the season yet and he just accidentally fell fucking face first into it <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it's it's funny man i i getting sober four and a half almost five years ago uh i it it brought me back to twelve step rooms and stuff. Bring you back to like examining your higher power, you know, of your own understanding. And um, even when I was at my most depraved, like, because after six years of masters and then ministry, and then that all like kind of like caving in, I had six years of like debauchery in in Austin, Texas, no less, where like uh, you know the the alcohols are flowing and the fucking the the fuckings are happening. And I did a lot of that. and But then, like, uh, got into a motorbike, a blackout motorbike accident in 2017 and started going into AA rooms. And I ne- even at my most debauched, I, I was still kind of like, when I was hugging toilets and shit, I was still praying to Jesus to, like, get me out of these situations. And, yeah, like, so when I came back into the AA rooms, AA was, like, really cool, especially in Austin because it was, like, super progressive in Austin and it's and like, they call it gay A down there. It's like tons of LGBT. I was like the token straight guy in most of the AA rooms down in Austin. But I always kind of still felt like I, like my higher power was like the Godhead, you know, was the father, the, the father, the son, the spirit and Christian theology is just my framework. And I'm sure you guys hear this a lot with people that you interview, whether they're like more on the progressive end or whatever, or ex evangelical or whatever. But, Um, yeah. So like the last four years was kind of me, like, um, sort of like rebuilding, like faith back up in the context of like 12 step recovery. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the pandemic brought me back here to South Indiana. I had, I didn't think I was going to be here. Uh, like I thought I was, you know, I would still be probably hanging out with Bianca, but, um, no, actually me and Bianca haven't seen each other face to face for years, but, um, but we were living in the same t- That was the, another thing is like once I left evangelicalism, like I lost none of my I'm not saying people like Bianca didn't call me up intentionally because it was just like once you lose that glue, you realize like, oh, I don't have anything in common with these people whatsoever. You
2: know yeah. What I mean? It's <laughs> like leaving college or anything yeah. else. It's like you just yeah. lose track of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Me, yeah. Yeah. So people like me and Bianca, I'm like a weird, you know, seamster guy. And she's like a bubbly kind of preppy chick you know so like we were like oh yeah we're probably not gonna be friends outside of uh but um yeah so last four years my deconstruction happened like in a in an environment where everybody's encouraged to find a higher power zone or standing so when i came what's funny is i started kind of feeling like and this kind of has a lot to do with me like totally ditching evangelicalism where i was like i started like Looking at other iterations of Christianity, I was like, so Catholicism was a big thing for me. I was like, you know, what, I Catholicism that I, I love the exorcist movies. I love there's a lot of musicians and people who and and I mean, fucking Jared Tolkien, you know, I mean, Catholicism is like a kind of a good, sturdy sort of orthodox version, like a high of high church, you know, and I started kind of exploring that I explored Quakerism for a while, too. That's where no, there's everybody sits in silence,
1: and then and during their church the word and
0: Yeah, and then if you get the word, you can stand up. And, but see, that was the thing is like I was going to these like really liberal like, churches out in Austin, and like just to mention Jesus, a lot of them were like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, uh, we don't like we don't get that specific, you know. And I'd okay. be like, so it
2: it is interesting how like how many people who who come to groups with some form of spiritualism you know after evangelicalism like I, I feel like we've talked to several people and it's just more and more all the time that are they're they're finding their niche in some form of like orthodox christianity
0: yeah well, you know, it probably it's some, like uh, eastern orthodox or catholicism or episcopalians or yeah it's like you take what yeah, you yeah. what you were taught
2: growing up and distill it down into some pure form minus the
0: Christian nationalism and stuff like that, you know? Well, that's the thing. So like the Mormons, I'll tell you this, and this is just, I could talk a big game, but I'm really, I'm just a white trash fucking Midwestern rube, right? <laughs> so like, um, <laughs> that's really, that's really like my, my that's essence. a good title, right?
1: There. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be the title that's, dude. Yeah, man, gave, gave it to us. Perfect. Today we
0: interview a fucking white trash Midwestern rube about a fucking his fucking <laughs> white trash Midwestern
1: rube with, uh, Dustin Phillipson. Perfect. There you go. There you go. <laughs>
0: I love it. I, I I stamp it. My it has my seal of approval, but so I could be swayed by just like bands that I like or artists that I like, like in being into something, still kind of like,
1: or Mormons that leave their pool uncovered.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just I'm like,
1: huh, that looks like that water looks so cool and refreshing. I think I might just take a dip in and oh, it's pretty nice. Not bad. You went I'll pool hopping it. with friends and then you were like, I think this is a Mormon pool. Good. And then and man, they all jump out of the bushes. You know? yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> <bitch>. <laughs> no,
0: I'll be honest. I'm a huge fan of the band, the killers. Uh, just a huge fan. And uh brand and Brandon flowers is uh, everybody knows he's like the good Mormon boy in, of rock, you know? Do you guys know that?
1: I didn't know that. I did know yeah. that, so I learned something new. He's years. a
0: super dedicated Mormon, and um, and I've always known that. And like, uh, and I actually not too long ago, I started kind of like looking up because I started noticing Mormons like even stuff I didn't like, like the Twilight series. I'm like, it's fucking weird that Mormons are gaining. It they're doing that whole like um intersecting their faith with their craft, like way better than evangelicals usually do it. You know. If you consider Brandon Flowers from The Killers, um, uh, Jared Hess who did Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre, he's a Mormon. Um, him oh, and wow. his wife are Mormons. Um, Stephanie Myers in the Twilight series. I just started noticing like Mormons were like doing cool, kind of like again, even if I didn't respect it, like Twilight. I was like, that's still like a force to be reckoned with. But she's like. But it's all like an analogy for like chastity and stuff, so I'm like that's fucking fascinating, so like I started kind of exploring Mormons and like uh a lot of Mormons are like progressive nowadays, like a lot of young Mormons are progressive they're 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 um in this so I started going i actually got a hold of the missionaries and they sent me two of the kids the nineteen year olds who were like basically doing the master their version of masters, I guess, yeah. And this is about this is just a couple months ago, not too long after I talked to you the first time, Casey, and like the Mormons like found wormed their way into my heart. Like Brand I found this video from Brandon Flowers from The Killers where it was stamped by the official LDS Church where he like it's not it's not shining a spotlight on him being like a rock star, it's shining a spotlight on him being like a father and like a husband, a good husband. And like he ends the video with like I'm Brandon Flowers, I'm a father, I'm a husband, and I'm a Mormon. And I was just like, huh? What's going on here? Because I know Brandon Flowers isn't like, he's not like a poster boy for like Christian nationalism or anything. And like, yeah, so this Mormon, they call it a ward that I've been going to. It's full of a lot of like PhD Notre Dame students. Cause I'm, again, I live in the land of Notre Dame. Uh, professors from Notre Dame go to this ward and they're, they're, they're like, they're not nationalists. They don't have pastors. They They have decentralized leadership. Like they don't, uh, the leadership is, um, uh, it's, it's like a spirit of rotation. And then like every, every Sunday, um, the first hour where they do they do communion and then they just have three people from the congregation. It can be like a little black lady and then like a PhD Notre Dame guy. And then just like a, uh, and then just like some like young 14 year old gal and they just come up and they give like a word. And then after that they do like another hour where they sit in a room, like almost AA style and talk about Mormon theology like, uh, like where the just, golden
1: tablets went, or yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and they have their own, Their you know, they have their own. And I'm, I, I gotta say, I am Mormon now. I got baptized. And so, uh, um, I have to stop saying they, um, yeah, it's a weird little twist to my Don't story. I baptize anyone now.
1: these days, I guess. <laughs> I know. Cause I, well, that was the
0: thing. I was like, I, I'm showing up in my fucking like, Punk rock garb and shit, you know. I'm like, I'm like, oh, let's see, let's see how, like, what what what's really gonna set these people off? And if anything, like, they thought it was cool and like, the the Mormons here in my town are kind of like clean cut hippies. I'll be honest. Like, they kind of have this vibe of like, I'm walking out of the fucking ward and this gal's like, Hey, does anybody want? I these are vegetables from my garden. And if anybody wants them, you know, like for free. So I'm like, grab a few like sweet potatoes and hot peppers and. um yeah like that's it, wild man
1: this definitely oh, took a twist I wasn't expecting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got me but I, I just got did they when you like so right when you come up out of the water or after you officially join um, do you hand them your old underwear in like a giant <laughs> trash bag and they give you some <laughs> new ones how does that work um, I'm gonna keep making jokes. I can't not. Make no, this. no. First you no, time you've, you've
2: been persecuted back? as a
0: Mormon. <laughs> I know. I feel so. Gosh, let's call this the Mormon persecution hour with uh, <laughs> Casey and Sam over. No, now. No, I know. I love it. I love that you guys. But here's you know another thing that made me uh, think the Mormons were cool was because when Trey and Matt, uh, the South Park guys, did their Book of Mormon. This was some again this was something that caught my eye when I was still in evangelicalism like um they did the Book of Mormon play. yeah. And when they did it a lot of the investors were like they were just so sure like uh because remember when um uh Scorsese did um, Scorsese who's devout himself who's like a like died in the wool Catholic he did that uh Last Temptation of Christ and remember Dobson and all the evangelicals like protested the theaters and I think Jerry Falwell said he would buy the he offered i think Jerry Falwell or Bill Bright offered to buy like all the reels of the film like pay for it so they could destroy the film so it could never be seen
1: again right <laughs> what a so that way that we only wrong. have the passion of the christ left that
0: that that was scorsese's last so so when matt parker and trey trey stone and matt parker were gearing up for the book of mormon to be, for its broadway debut some investors started getting nervous and they were like dude what if the mormons do the last temptation of the christ thing and they start like writing in the streets. And then Trey Parker, and Matt Stone were like, you know what, man, in our research, like the Mormons are actually kind of fucking cool. Like they're like, trust us. We don't think that they're going to care at all. And there's this whole quote. If you go to the book of Mormon, Wikipedia page of Matt, of Trey Park, Trey like, I think it's Trey, Trey's the blonde one. I think, um, just like really like heaping praise on the Mormons because, not only did they, like, not protest, they actually, like, in almost a cheeky way, they took out a little advertisement in the book, in the Broadway Plays booklet for, like, you've seen the play, now, now like, actually read the book that can change your life, you know, like, the Book of Mormon or whatever, the actual Book of Mormon. Well,
2: so you know, I think what it comes, it comes down to is the same thing we've talked about with a lot of people <laughs> who find some way of reconciling with their faith after rejecting a lot of the things that just don't mesh with their worldview anymore. You know, you keep what you need, what makes sense for you and what helps you, and you you disregard the rest. At the end of the day, I think we growing up, we looked at things like like Christianity and the the church, all of these different things as like it was the institution that you were pledging to. Mm-hmm. You know? When in fact like the institution is it's the framework, I guess, but like it's really the people and especially the people at a local level. It's like the community that makes the big difference. And that's what's valuable, not the institution, yeah. the community. If your local community of Christians or Mormons or whatever else are good people that are caring for each other and and are putting positive you know, vibes out outward into their surrounding community. What can anybody, I mean, how do you, how do you critique that? It's,
0: yeah. And that's the thing is like kind of going back when I said to even being a little kid in the UPC church and like before Jerry Falwell got his talons into the, in the Christian right really started moving the needle in a certain direction. I felt that community then, like I said, that guy that would take all the fatherless kids on like a little, like rough and tumble boy trip or whatever that still sounds bad that that's it was it was very innocent <laughs> uh but uh uh i i almost feel like that way with the mormons like i mentioned QAnon to them guess what their response was they're like what's QAnon?" <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know a Q. like i, I was like that's okay this is fucking right fascinating there. i was like the they that's how like and they value education. They wear masks at their services to protect the elderly. A lot of Mormons, like if you again if you do the research, a lot of them, like their whole thing, they're not unlike evangelicals, where it's like, like you know, like me, like he looks cool, he's got a rat tail, and he likes punk. Like get him credentialed, and he can reach the other rat tail punk kids, you know. And I'm like fucking twenty three, acting like I know shit about shit. Like the Mormons are their their way of like um, witnessing is like to become the best you you can be. And that tends, and I'm really noticing like practically with all these fucking PhD Notre Dame students at this ward that they really value like edu- higher education and science and things like that. They really do. And um, I can tell some of the, the, And and here's the thing, even the weird theology, like I'm kind of here for it. I'm like, dude, yes. Tell me about some fucking golden tablets. Like tell me about proxy baptisms for the dead. Like, give me something that's totally foreign to my fucking like stale ass evangelical experience. Like, give me like, as I can tell, sometimes they're almost ashamed to talk about the tablets and the weird shit. And I'm like, I'm like here for it. I'm like, tell me about it. Like, let's talk about the fucking tablets, you know, let's talk <laughs> about Joseph. And another thing is like, uh, see, this is going to become a Mormon podcast now, so, like, let's just maybe call it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> how how
1: far can I push the uh, Mormon jokes tonight? No, I mean,
0: at this point, like, I'm still so wide-eyed about it, like, come back in, like, a couple years, maybe I'll be, like, a fundamentalist Mormon and all, like, ah, oh, no, don't, don't say things about just our prophet, but I noticed that they <laughs> they have even, like, they're even now, like, starting to downplay Joseph Smith. There's, like, uh, there's, like fem- you know, like, we uh, you know because Joseph Smith had like child brides and shit, you know what I mean like so like I, I know they're, they're they're even starting to like as a as a whole like as an institution they're starting to be like well he's a, he, yes he he, had, he was a prophet but we don't think he was infallible you know like we don't think that he we don't agree like like Uh, like a a lot of people seem to think that the modern day LDS like still puts a stamp of approval on polygamy, but that like they, the, the official LDS, we did that out years ago.
1: Right. So um, it sounds like they take science really seriously, uh, but they still need to work on history. (laughs) Yeah. okay I, i'm done that's, no, I, that's no, why no, i was no. asking I, how far I, I could push it he sat no, on that
2: joke like an old man for the past <laughs> yeah he was waiting <laughs> he, he, he was he, he was like i, mean, locked loaded.
1: I was like well, what about history okay okay <laughs> no <laughs> i know
0: i but see here's what <laughs> what it symbolizes to me though i like that it's an open cannon, right like they have an open cannon. they don't have a closed fucking cannon. so it's like again to me one of the poisonous, I think, one of the poisonous things about Christendom beyond Evangelicalism is a fucking closed canon. Like, I'm seeing, I'm actually seeing the Mormons. Like, I, I think a close. There's a whole other conversation about closed canon. Yeah. But I, that was something that theologically I was starting to have huge issues with. Like when I was in the church, was that like, how can we, like, this is so obviously a book written like thousands of years ago that had that needs so much context like how can we not view it like that how can we just like nope that issue's closed like we will never talk about that in because that's what paul said about it you know it's like signed a doctrinal statement yeah yeah and the and the mormons for all their um flaws i guess you could say like i think joseph smith and the open canon to me symbolize like oh these people still believe that like things can change and like things can be discarded. Like I'm st- because you're seeing these young progressive Mormons, like there's a girl that wears like an LGBTQ, like a uh, rainbow flag on her lapel to the services. And I'm, I, and I'm noticing like, Oh, okay. Like younger Mormons are allowed to be more progressive. And st- like one guy gave, when he gave up, went up there and gave his talk, he was like, he pushed back on a lot of the uh older the teaching the actual official stances of the church on lgbtq issues Mm -hmm. like from the pulpit this kid said this stuff and i was like that's fucking fascinating that is the last thing i expected was that like the younger people in their church are like actually allowed to have like sort of like a pushback and a voice Mm -hmm. within because they don't have one pastor that like they don't it's it's not all built around a personality which that Rise and Fall podcast is all about. That's that was Mars Hill. Right, thing. That, it's
1: like, it was all built around yeah, a, Driscoll left. one singular <laughs> personality.
0: Well, it sounds like a good
2: group, you know, and hey, it's like we're saying, you know, you find something that that's meaningful to you and that helps you and that, you know, you can weed through some of the the baggage that comes with it, then by all means, who's who's gonna criticize that, you know? So
1: yeah, and if I think Casey I'm... can suffer a conversation around just the the fun theology aspect of it, and have these <laughs> conversations again later, he'll sit there quietly. But we can go back and forth for a while. But
0: yeah, uh, I... let me just end on this. <laughs> Rob, Rob Bell gave this little parable once that I really liked. Uh, you know, V Rob Bell, and he said. Um, you know, uh, a young man, I'm going to slaughter the actual details, but I'm just going to tell it my own way. A young man embarks on a young person embarks on a journey and um, they're coming up upon like a mountain and uh, a mountain and a river. And then as they're walking towards it, it's a mountain and a river. And but then once they get to and they're tra- and they're travailing and they're uh, they're climbing the mountain and they're swimming through the river to them, it's no longer a mountain and a river it's their experience. And then they come out on the other side to look behind them to once again, see a mountain and a river. And I think that's for me, I'm kind of like post -post postmodern at this point in life. I'm like post deconstruction. Like I'm done deconstructing. Like I, it's like, give me, give me like golden tablets and like weird, like give me weird shit, but like a people that are actually like living in love with one another and not like storming our nation's capital. And, and for me, for now, you know, it's working for now. So
2: well, I can appreciate that, man. Uh, and
3: <laughs> do we definitely, at some point
2: we got to, uh we definitely got to do some master's commission stories. Cause I'm I know I'm so still sorry infinitely. That it... <laughs> <can> re- <laughs> I'm
3: so sorry hey, that
2: I
0: didn't go that route.
2: It goes where it
0: goes. That's
2: the rules of the
0: podcast game. <laughs> podcast roulette, you know,
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah man thanks
2: for joining us uh we really appreciate it thanks for uh yeah
1: this was a lot of fun man yeah super
2: fucking fun thank you guys all right everybody and thanks for listening we will catch you next time